the core cast. Welcome to Shoot the Corecast, the official companion podcast to the Art of Generation Shmup Club. This is the family-friendly Shmup-themed podcast that encourages you to shop smart. Shop Thulu. From RFGeneration.com, I'm Metal Fro, also known as Game Boy Guru, and my co-pilot on this mission, as always, is... Addicted, also known as Addicted to Shmups. And we have a guest with us this evening... Uh, the one and only Ed from Studio Mudprints, who you may know from the Bullet Heaven series on YouTube. What's going on? Welcome to the show. Uh, so before we get started here, I uh, just want to let all of you know, if you'd like to connect with us, uh, there are several ways to do that. You can follow us on Twitter at ShootCoreCast. You can follow me directly at GameBoyGuru. Uh, our podcast has a feed that connects with multiple uh, multiple sites and multiple podcast services. You can find the links to all of those at linktr.ee slash shootthecorecast. Also, make sure you join rfgeneration.com and join us for a Schmuck Club playthrough and check out the uh, large database of games there, good forums, and our Discord server that's linked from the front page. We have our own dedicated Shoot the Corecast topic there on the server where... You can come talk to us about shmups, about the latest episode, and uh, the game that we're playing for the month, and share screenshots or photos of your high scores, etc. And you can also follow me on Twitch to get notifications of new streams, because I do stream the Shmup Club game every month. That is twitch.tv slash gurugameboy. Yeah, the other thing I want to make sure and mention is that as we record this, we are just a few hours away from the start of Shmup Slam 4 that is being put on by the Electric Underground. And um, actually, Ed and I are both going to be involved in that, as Ed's going to be uh, one of the runners uh, playing a game, and I'll be providing commentary for his run alongside Mark MSX, who uh, runs the Electric Underground. And so there's going to be a lot of great content on there. By the time this episode is edited and out for all of you to listen to the event itself will be done but if you missed any of it be sure to go and check it all out on youtube because there will be a lot of great uh replays that you'll be able to go and look at and and view and you know kind of see the action so please make sure you check that out so let's start with our question of the month which i kind of changed it up a little bit this month Instead of just throwing a question out there, I made it a poll. So I said, how big an impact should randomness play in the shooting game genre? And so I put out basically four, four uh, possible answers. Um, minimal impact to the games, moderate impact, a big impact, or undecided slash other. So, in terms of just the raw poll results, uh, the overwhelming 
majority said minimal impact. Uh, that was 52.6%. Uh, coming in at uh, in second place was moderate impact uh, at 39.5%. Uh, 5.3% of you said big impact, uh, which I thought was actually maybe a touch higher than I expected it to be. And then 2.6% uh, said undecided slash other. Um, but of course, we did have responses because I did encourage people to let us know, um, you know, why they chose the option that they did or, or, you know, if they had any specific examples or things to help illustrate their choice uh, to sort of let us know their thoughts. Right off the bat, um, <laughs> at Balturius on Twitter said, you're missing the none slash full determinism option. So I'm going to say that's my bad. I didn't even think about that as an option. Uh, but I think in part because I'm not aware of that many games where there's absolutely no randomness to them. Uh, so if I if there are plenty of shmups out there that have zero randomness and they're all totally predictable, let me know because I am interested to find out what games those are. But in the interest of full disclosure, that's why I did not put an option like that on the list, because it didn't occur to me that there would be a, you know, a, a large number of shooting games that had no randomness, or as, as Balterius puts it, full determinism. So, gotta throw that out there right off the bat. Alright, our next comment comes to us from Silfeed Zero. My justification on moderate is only influence on start of sequence of drops and boss patterns. On top of that, it could also be modified on purpose. Otherwise, it has to be non-existent. No, I'm going to drop an enemy from nowhere and no warning whatsoever and let it go. <laughs> yeah, random enemies that drop everywhere. Jeez, uh, I was almost thinking that this scale might be on a scale of nothing to uh, 1942. <laughs> Right. Uh, well, I think 1942 is at least marginally predictable, right? <laughs> yeah, it's predictable that you're going to get shot out of nowhere. Okay. Uh, at Hauser, a.k.a. Hauser Cute Co. Levels, uh, Cute Co. Levels of randomness is fine, he says. <laughs> yes. And as soon as I saw that, I tweeted back and I said, how did I know this was coming? <laughs> because Hauser is... Uh, like the um, high priest at the Church of Cute. <laughs> yeah, he, he's uh, he's well versed in the Book of Eschatos. <laughs> the Book of Eschatos, I like that. I'm going to get you that as a fake Christmas present, the Book of Eschatos. Oh man, I, I could I could make a whole Eschatosology pun, but I'm sure half the audience would be groaning and the other half would be scratching their heads. <laughs> Uh, I'd say there has to be like a book of Genesis somewhere, but uh, someone else beat us to that punch. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, at Fireshark MD, uh, aka Corkman, uh, one of our uh, participants says, I chose minimal because I like the genre as it is mostly, but I definitely think there is room for more randomness in a small subgenre of shooting games. Variety is the spice of life. Yeah, definitely. Our next comment comes to us from Aunt Zoido. Randomness leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. 
Hate leads to suffering. <laughs> suffering leads to Gradius 3 Arcade. <laughs> <laughs> I added that last part, but yeah. I, There's I, your penance. I agree with it. Oh, well, somebody had to go full Yoda. Uh, at Pony Tatsujin says, this is a question that immediately made me think of how Xevious handles its quote-unquote randomness. Which is to say, I don't think it does, actually. I think uh, Xevious is pretty predictable throughout its whole thing. Hmm. Yeah. Pony Tatsujin uh, goes on to say, honestly, randomness, randomness and moderation is fine. Like, say, player gets a familiar with a specific pattern, game adds another pattern or mixes everything up to throw the player off a bit. Psycho games are a bit notorious for that. Yeah, uh, Greg of PTSD. <laughs> yeah. Alright, our next one comes to us from at SPM underscore NSW. Depends on the mood. When playing up for score or tough 1cc, too much random number generation can put you off. Some is okay if done well, but not too unfair. But it can also be good for casual plays where you prefer avoiding repetition and playing retroactive, excuse me, reactively to whatever the game throws at you. I, I think there's something to be said for taking things serious, from up seriously and then also just taking it easy and not uh, just enjoying yourself. To go for that, you know, 20 credit clear, but still enjoy yourself, that's pretty fulfilling as well. Right. Uh, at Fran Freaky says, uh, I think randomness takes you out of uh, from your com- from your comfort zone. But one uh, of uh, quote unquote studied ran- uh, randomness, for example, some R type bosses have certain routines. However, you cannot predict which one they will use next. That's the magic. On the one hand, Cambria Sword uses the gauge luck system, a bar impossible to stop, which spams good or bad luck every few minutes power-ups or enemies against you. It's a random but challenging system. It adds a unique, fresh, quote-unquote, nervousness factor to the game. Yeah, the the R-Type example I had to think about for a minute, but then I realized uh, the Stage 4 boss is like that because it, uh, you know, it splits off into three parts and they kind of move around. And I don't think it's totally predictable as to, once it splits, where it's going to go unless there's a way to correlate it to your position on screen. But I've noticed that it uh, it does different things or it moves in, in different directions and so forth as you as you fight it different times, especially for those of us who are still scrubs at the original R-Type and have to keep continuing from that last pre-boss checkpoint. <laughs> Quick side note, that boss is a jerk. Indeed. So we got a really detailed response from uh, uh, at Daytana underscore Refki, who, by the way, is a um, Japanese Gradius 3 player who has really dominated that game and is now currently working on um, one of the Twinbee games, if I'm not mistaken. Daytana. Yeah, Daytana Twinbee. Yeah. But I'm not sure if it's Daytana Twinbee that that they're actually working on or or what but anyway so this is multiple tweets but i i think it's good to share i think there is nothing wrong about randomness quote unquote itself inherently it could be an issue when there is no room for players to make decision around the given situation such as 
stage luck in some Psycho games, which players have no control over it whatsoever. Then let's talk about good, quote, randomness, unquote, shall we? This is a game that I mainly been playing, Daytona Twinbee. Okay, there you go. In this game, for a second loop especially, this stage jellyfish enemy spawns different location every run, and Revenge Bullet can be varied. This may not make the run consistent and difficult to stabilize. However, the skills and tricks that you learn from the game, uh, such as Tail Barrier to protect bullets, still remains, and you are going to build more experience, and eventually you will be able to make a good decision. And I think this is where the where true magic comes in. Once you build the experience, you will be very consistent, uh, not just as build strong pattern, but also making optimized decision making based on what is currently going on. And this, my friend, is the reason why I play Shmup. I thought that was a a wonderful series of tweets because it really kind of gets to the the heart of. Uh, sort of feeling the payoff from the shmup grind, as uh, Mark likes to put it. You know, sometimes it can get a little bit discouraging if you're working on a particular game and you're just sort of hammering it away at a particular stage or boss or checkpoint or whatever it is, and you feel like you're not making any progress. But as you continue to, to play it and play it and play it, you know, you pick up on little things here and there. Sometimes it takes longer than you want, but at some point, things are going to click, and you'll be able to move on to that next uh, that next thing. And it's a really good feeling when you when you get over that hump and you know are able to to get on to the next uh, the next thing. So I thought that was a really nice nice tweet thread. All right, our next one comes from us at Maz six seven zero eight six eight zero four. I usually like STGs with randomness kept to a minimum. The trade-off is that game design has to be very solid. Low random number generator usually makes both the pros and cons of a shmup really noticeable. There are some heavy random number generator shmups that work well, for, just not my personal taste. And you know, I, there are certainly some games that I prefer to, so it's not like luck of the draw. It really has to depend upon what the core concept of the game is. If the core concept of the game is to take your quarters and use a lot of RNG, it's not going to last long for me. But if it's something like, well, hey, maybe a PSX here, where it's built in as part of the core gameplay, it can keep things interesting for a lot longer than you would normally sit and play through. Yeah. What about the two of you? What do you guys think in terms of, you know, what's your preferred level of randomness within the genre? Or do you not have a preferred level? Well, I think for me, it, it depends on whether the game is built around how random it's supposed to be. So, like, if you've got, like, a Steriden or a Project Starship X, um, I'm going to want things to be, uh, you know, fairly varied, but not in a way that it's, um, you know, too sparse in one uh, situation and overly crowded in another. Especially with the... Um, uh, with something like uh, Project Starship X, I appreciate that it's subtly different. You have sure. the possibility of doing certain stages, okay. but the stages themselves are largely the same with only minor variants okay. of them. So I'll go with moderate for sure. 
What about you, Addicted? What is your what's your preference? My preference is, you know, just like choosing whether you want the red wine or the white wine to go with your chicken or fish, I prefer looking at it with the gameplay itself. I echo Ed's statements here. It really has to depend upon what the core gameplay is. If it was made such as PSX on there where you can get a, a little bit of randomness and it's built into the core gameplay, then it certainly suits it. But if your game isn't entirely off the rails, all random, you know, I, I, I hate to use this word, but I think that if you want to lead more towards fully random schmuffs, you're almost dealing with a, sort of like a, a mobile phone type of game design where, you know, you get your loot boxes. Mm. You almost passed that boss. Let's get a loot box. <laughs> Only five ninety nine, Right. Or stuff like that. I, I think it, it lent more randomness these days lends towards more monetization, which is not the way that I prefer to play games. But again, it has to be tied to the game concept. As far as on the scale of blank to blank, I would say low to medium. Hmm. Yeah, see, and for me, I kind of come at this from a perspective of... I don't think... Uh, as mentioned at the at the top of this uh, this segment here, that that full determinism is best for the genre um, because I think a certain degree of and maybe randomness is is the wrong word for it, but like you said, at variance, you know, a certain degree of variance or within a set range, if you will of, you know, parameters and things. I think that works the best because then it's not the same rote experience every time where the only variance is what you're doing on screen and whether you're holding the fire button down and moving over here or tapping the fire button and moving over there. Um, so I think a certain degree of, of variance or randomness is is going to be necessary to help keep a game fresh and, and kind of keep keep you coming back. That said, I think a minimal amount has been sort of my, uh, my measuring stick, if you will, for the longest time. But I will say, playing this game through the course of the month has really opened my eyes to the possibilities of more random elements and more variance, I'll say again, uh, as a way to make the experience uh, it, you know, its own thing. And I think it's this has been a good learning experience for me, uh, which I think transitions nicely into actually talking about the game uh, that we played here this last month. Let's go ahead and, and uh, shout out our participants for the month. Of course, it was you and I addicted. We also had Mini Console Man, uh, Reality, Cork, Gollum, ChrisTap76, Macho, and then, uh, Ed, you streamed the game at least once last month, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, we, we got to Final Cthulhu that one time. Oh, that's right, yes. Um, so, yeah, uh... The game that we played during the month of July was Project Starship X. Addicted, do you want to 
go over a few details here about the uh, pu- the development of the game. Yeah, one of the things I'm not seeing the notes here I want to add is Project Starship, at least the original one, was when I played it, was more of a proof of concept for what will become Project Starship X. It's uh, If anyone has any questions whether they want to try it versus Project Starship X, please play Project Starship X. Right. Uh, any comments on that one, Ed? Are your thoughts the same? I'm sorry, what was the question? I was just saying, if someone wants to... Uh, we talked about the original Project Starship and oh, yes. it was more of a proof of concept than a game yeah, if they yeah that to was try. that that was their uh that was um Arabong's first game actually uh, the first project starship um I, I don't think i would say that it's a good place to start uh i think it's different enough and maybe unpolished enough that uh you can just kind of skip right over it right into x yeah, i completely agree so project starship x was developed and published by panda indie studios also known as Arabong. On June 18th, 2020 on Steam, as well as on PlayStation 4, and a Nintendo Switch version followed. Now, I know that uh, PlayAsia did a PlayStation 4 physical, and I really hope a Switch physical is forthcoming. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that was through East Asia Soft. Right. I forget. Uh, it seems like uh, PlayAsia has at least two or three publishing arms these days. <laughs> Airbond has made a handful of shooting games such as Red Death, Project Starship, as we talked about earlier, No Void, and the most recent, Void Core. Other notable games would be Pity Pit, which looks like a Commodore 64 game, inspired by those you know, simple but quality early arcade games like Dig Dug or Mr. Do. Project Starship X is a vertically scrolling shooter with a roguelite approach to its gameplay. Much like other shooting games, such as Airborne has... Uh, uh, excuse me there. Tongue-tied myself. <laughs> Project Starship X is a vertically scrolling shooter with a roguelite approach to its gameplay. Much like other shooting games, such as Airborne has designed, which is a key design element. I have to say... Rogue Light seems to be invading almost everything these days. You know, I would start with the stuff like the Binary Isaac, and then we had um, oh well, shoot, I'm forgetting that the PC one was pretty popular. But then Spelunky is another huge one. Right. It. I think that it's unique enough that it can become a uh, here. Uh, may, dare I drop a, a Loki reference here? A variant or a variant timeline to its. Uh, to STGs. I think there's enough there that it could fork off and become its its own thing. And I'm definitely hoping to see more of this. Uh, Panda Indie Studios' next game appears to be called Psycho Taxi Rewind, which looks like a crazy taxi in a Minecraft-like setting. Hey, I'm all for more crazy taxi type games. I like that uh, one that came out called Taxi Chaos. Oh. That was pretty good. Now, if we can only get people to make more OutRun clones. Oh, there we go. Or, heck, even a Fantasy Star clone. Huh. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot to talk about here. I mean, you know, like most shoot-em-ups, it's, it's basic control. It's a two-button system. You know, you've got your eight-way digital control. And 
correct me if I'm wrong, Ed, but didn't you say in one of your streams that it also has analog control? I, I, I'm pretty sure analog control is a thing. I'm actually going to verify that right now. <laughs> oh, nice. Because I was thinking that you had either mentioned that on stream or possibly in your review, but I don't remember off the top of my head now. And honestly, because I played it with my arcade stick all month, I, I just never I just never went back and, and verified that. I used the 360 pad on PC, and then I used the Pro Controller on the Switch, and I used the... Uh... Analog sticks. Worked fine. Oh, okay. So did you have variable movement? I didn't, you know, with my TV, uh, I definitely did because I need a better TV. <laughs> but <it's better>. <laughs> <laughs> my TV is from 2007 and greatly needs to be updated. But as far as my computer monitor, it, it, seen, it was not like one of those, you know, quick uh, digital movements. It did seem to be variable, but I would need to confirm that as well. Okay. Okay. I'm just bringing it up. Sure. Um, but while you're doing that, I guess I'll just mention, you know, the, the two-button control system, which is kind of a, uh, a staple for old-school shmups. You know, you've got your, your fire button that fires your, your different weapons and things. Uh, you can press it repeatedly for a rapid fire and a sort of, you know touch the button and hold it for a second to sort of fire a couple volleys or whatever. Uh, but then you can also hold it down for a rapid shot, much like a cave game where it slows your movement down. It doesn't change your your fire pattern necessarily, but it does slow the game down and it sort of has this interesting darkening effect to the screen that sort of signals that you're in focus mode, if you will. And... Um, you know, slows your movement down so that you can more granularly dodge through bullets and things. How much that would affect the the variable speed thing? I don't know. I like that it adds a crosshair when you do that as well, so you can uh, sort of uh, figure out um, you know where stuff is um, uh, in the in the cardinal directions. It right. makes things easier to dodge. Yeah, that is a nice feature. That's true. Uh, and then, of course, the the other button that you have is a multifunction button where tapping the button will make your ship do a dash, where it sort of dashes forward uh, a certain ways on the screen. And that is one of the big hooks, one of the big mechanics in the game is this dash maneuver. Uh, you have to use it to dodge certain obstacles within the game. Uh, but it also has kind of a secondary effect where... You get iframes after you dodge, uh, where there's a you know a second and a half or so there, where as your dash um, maneuver recharges to where you can do it again, you get a, a little period of invincibility there, where you can sort of uh, your your ship will almost sort of eat bullets during that time. Uh, so if you're dashing to avoid bullets that are coming at you and there's bullets ahead of you, a lot of times what you can do is dash into those bullets and it'll clear that little bit of space around you and then you can kind of maneuver from there. Um, so it really becomes a, a central mechanic. And then... Yep. You know, I would have to say that it, good on them for bringing the Dark Souls role into an SDG. <laughs> uh, one of the things that would be interesting to see in maybe the next game or some DLC is it the 
dashing forwards always at a constant or set speed no matter who you choose. While the shot patterns have changed, it would be interesting to see if we could get a variance upon that. Right? Where one person, they dash forward, but the recharge is slower. Or they, you know, they, they dash, it doesn't go as far, but then it recharges quicker. Oh, sure. That that would make the game a little bit more interesting. I would love to see a, l- a little bit of variance or play upon it. Be, maybe the sequel. Yeah. That's an interesting maybe. idea. Just going to jump in here. Uh, confirmed there is uh, analog, like true analog control, but it's very touchy on the Switch. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, uh, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a lot more, uh, a lot easier to sort of uh, use on a, uh, like a more traditional gamepad. Uh, but like the Joy-Cons are pretty twiddly, right? So, oh, sure. But it is definitely there, though. Okay, good to know. Uh, the other thing, the other functionality of your dash button is if you do a double tap of it, uh, that will fire up a bomb. Um, and your bomb stuck can have, you know, traditional bombs and other things as well that we'll kind of talk a lot about as we go along here. Um, it's interesting that that Arabong chose to go with a two-button system like that to where the dash and the bomb were assigned to the same button. Uh, you know, not quite Mars Matrix with everything as one button, um, but it was interesting that Arabong chose to go that direction in the modern age where we have controllers with tons of buttons. It seems like an odd choice. It, it does work, though, and... Um, I don't know. I guess that might be a preferential thing for some. What you know? At least he didn't go full on Bell in Wonderworld. <laughs> right. <laughs> the 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 big criticism that I would have, I guess, is sort of like twofold or or two related issues. One is there is no rapid fire option unless you're holding the button down, um, and then that slows your movement. So. In order to save my wrist and my fingers, of course, on my joystick, uh, I've got a, a turbo function. So I set the other uh, the other fire button as as turbo, so I could have constant fire holding the button down with normal speed movement, and then I could switch to the to the other one and get the slower movement when it made sense. The the other thing is that there's no, at least in the PS4 version uh, that I played, there's no option to change the control scheme or to like the button setup and everything. Uh, so I, I thought that was maybe a bit of a missed opportunity because it would have been. I nice. think that's one of the, <clears throat> that's one of the things uh, one of the bigger um, uh, complaints across the board with with a lot of players is that you can't rebind the controls in any version. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I felt like that was a missed opportunity uh, because it seems like a seems like something that would be a nice accessibility feature to offer players, and the fact that it's not theirs was a little disappointing. the The game's got five stages, and <laughs> I'll say it has five, or you play through five stages. Let's put it that way. So you play through five stages. And the way the game is laid out is basically it has multiple loops or multiple uh, sets of stages. 
And so you play through the first five stages, and then you've essentially created, or you've essentially completed the tutorial loop, or the first loop. Once you do that, then you go back, and the game essentially unlocks additional stages for you to play, additional elements that you'll encounter, uh, and then as you go along into the second loop then your experience will be different because A, it'll be a little bit harder. B, there'll be certain stages that you'll have access to that you wouldn't have seen before. So this becomes part of that randomness we talked about where stage one's always going to be stage one. It's always going to be the, the same area that you're in, even though there will be variance between when certain elements within the stage appear or, you know, some elements will appear in a run and some won't. But then stage two, starting in the second loop, can be a whole different thing uh, from the first loop. So you can either have the asteroid stage, which is what appears, uh, I think, in the first loop. But then I think starting with the second loop, correct me if I'm wrong, that's where you get uh, stage two could also be up right up against the sun where the sun's gravity tries to pull you in. Uh, so it, it adds a whole new element that you kind of have to just prepare for and learn as you play the game over and over again to then sort of deal with, okay, am I going to have a, quote, normal stage two with uh, the asteroids and stuff like that, or am I going to have the sun stage where I'm going to have to contend with uh, the sun's gravity the whole time? So it really opens up, you know, the, the way that you approach the game and how you have to think about it differently than what you would consider a more traditional shooter. Yeah, it, it seems to follow in some ways the Psycho model where you go, well, the first four stages are always going to be similar, but they're always going to be randomized and then you would, let's say, unlock more stages as you increase the difficulty level as you go through your loops. There, it's That's the closest analogy I can come up to with an, for this type of SDG. Right, and uh, the uh, the breadth of stages that will become available eventually, you're, you're going to find that a lot of, of them will... Uh, they, they can speak to the player more than others. Like, for me... I know that uh, every time the jump and shoot stage comes up, I'm like, yes, I can recover my life completely at this point. Uh, I can usually get at least one more shield out of it because I can get through it without getting hit. Mm. Um, you know, it's it's one of those stages that really clicks. But like, then you get stuff like Space Texas. Oh. <laughs> Space Texas. It just it just wrecks your day. Yeah. I also don't like that uh, this stage with the zombie Hitler's brain. That stage on there, I always seem to get the timing wrong with my jumps, but this asteroid field, I always can get right. I don't know what it is. Oh, I think it's just me on that one. You're talking about the one with the giant robot with tank treads? Yeah, that, that always seems to throw me off, and especially how quickly those enemies on there will latch onto you and try and knock you down. Yep. That is a it's a, this is a tough stage that one. Yeah. For sure. And that's one of the that's one of the stage 4 options. Yeah, that's usually where my runs ended on stage 4. If I could get the other stage 4, it was pretty easy to do. Hmm, right. 
Yeah. Now, the the fourth loop is the final loop, as far as I'm aware. Or at least the final loop that you have to complete before you get a credit roll. Uh, so that is, quote, beating the game, if you will. But the interesting thing about loop four is you only get four stages in loop four. Then you get a sort of mini boss rush, if you will, where there are two bosses that you don't see elsewhere in the game. And then the final con confrontation with Cthulhu. So it's kind of an interesting way to sort of change it up in that final loop. Yeah, and uh, if memory serves, Cthulhu was pretty much the boss of the first game as well, so that's a good carryover. Right. Now, you only get one life per run, and depending on the, you know, the character that you choose, your ship will be able to take a, a certain number of hits before it gets destroyed. And that will vary from character to character, and then you also have some control over that by collecting shield icons as you go along. I was just going to say it also vary upon the uh, roll of the dice for, um, what's her name? Oh, for Sophie. Sophie, yep. Yeah. Uh, so Sophie's dilemma there. So you get a good roll or not. <laughs> <laughs> Sophie's choice or Sophie's <laughs> okay. lack of choice? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it's definitely uh, interesting on there. You, it provides a good balance. That's one of the things I thought the game did exceptionally well is how balanced the characters were. They, they didn't feel like, you know, hey, it's just the same ship within a different color. It really had to pick, like, hey, do I want the spread of... Uh, shoot, I, I, I hate it. I should have more coffee. But it, the blank of uh, Gwen Rossi to have the more spread out shot, or do I want the rapid fire from um, shoot uh, all these names are drawing a blank from um, Garrett Zapala or do you want the straight up shotgun approach from John Johnson or do you want the more uh, more powerful shot from Swag Thulu it's, it's definitely more of a very choice than in just an, another uh, Another same ship in, in different different paint job. Right. I, I made a whole list of all these different items that you can collect, and I'm pretty sure I did not include them all. But I'll just rapid fire through these real quick. So you can grab a P icon to increase your weapon power. The R icon increases the rate of fire. So your your ship, of course, fires faster. S icons will restore a shield hit, and there's a red mushroom that will do the same thing in certain areas. You've got an M icon that will make your ship fire missiles occasionally. A heart icon will add one shield hit to your total. The lightning bolt puts your ship into overload mode, which makes your shots larger and shoot faster and basically makes you more powerful for a short period of time. There's also a syringe pickup, which is a, a shot of adrenaline, essentially. It's similar to the lightning bolt, but I, it lasts longer. You've got the sun that you can uh, buy usually in a shop from time to time when you see it. Uh, and that will, it's like the heart, but it will add multiple hits to your uh, shield. Praise the, the sun. Yeah, praise the sun, exactly. It's uh, actually called the praiseable sun. Oh, yeah. Um. You've got the flame, which kind of turns your main cannon into a flamethrower. 
There's the green blob, which turns your shots into a virus. That's kind of interesting, because then when you're hitting enemies with it, then they're sort of flashing green. Uh, the pink poop emoji. Um, since this is a family-friendly podcast, I'll just call it fecal fire, because I think it sounds just <laughs> as funny. <laughs> but basically what that does is, instead of your your cannon firing straight forward, it sort of goes in a circle around your ship. You don't want to pick that up unless you have met certain conditions, and I'll get into that here in a second. The There's an anchor that you can sometimes pick up, which literally will throw anchors from the front of your ship. Um, there's also a similar one that's like a, a fist, and that'll throw out these punching fists in a I, what I kind of estimated was about a 25 to 30 degree angle out of the front of your ship. And so you Those kind are, of... uh, that's called the um, Plus Ultra. It's from Boku no Hero Academia. Oh, okay. There you go. So or that's, uh, uh, My Hero Academia. Right. Uh, so a little uh, anime reference there. I'm uh, full the... of useless knowledge. <laughs> right. Uh, we play video games. We're all full of useless knowledge. <laughs> Uh, the double barrel shotgun basically doubles the amount of, of forward fire that you have. Uh, the laser, which is one of my favorites, uh, turns your front fire into just a high-powered laser. Now, the crossbone gives you four-way fire. And this is the one that, if you pick up the crossbone, then it's not a bad idea to pick up that fecal fire, because then it essentially turns your ship into a four-way rotating cannon. Uh, and there are certain bosses that that works really well for because then you don't have to worry so much about whether you're actually hitting them to do damage because you're going to be hitting them and you can focus a little bit more on dodging through their bullet patterns. So that can that can be useful. If you have the crossbone, it's okay to go full fecal. <laughs> full fecal. <laughs> I like it. The red turret uh, gives you missile shots uh, and like a spinning turret that spins around your ship. There's a blue turret that gives you more of the standard forward firing shots. And then there's a brighter, lighter blue turret that gives you a laser uh, that spins around your ship. It always fires forward, but the turret itself spins around your ship. I just want to kind of, I, I want to sort of elaborate on the uh, the standard shots. Um, I think I think those are gray. At least I, I perceive them as gray. Oh, okay. That could be, yeah. I kind of, I thought it was like a, a sort of a darker blue or a, maybe like a gray blue. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Now there's, uh, there are sections of the game where you'll be in the crawler instead of your ship. So you'll be on the ground and... Uh, you can jump, uh, which is the same button that you use as the dash in the normal uh, flying sections. And so in those sections, there's like a this little triangle sign that you can pick up that will give your crawler a three-way flamethrower instead of just a single forward-firing flamethrower. There's a bottle of liquid that you can sometimes buy in the shop, which will restore all your shield hits. Uh, and then the last one on the list here is the Scepter of Cthulhu. I honestly have not figured out what that does. 
I bought it a couple of times, hoping that I would see something, but I never actually saw anything. I think it actually has to do with uh, shot power. Okay. Uh, it has to do with shot power, and there's a trade-off, and I'm not 100% sure what the trade-off is. Okay. So you're, you're getting you're getting more powerful shots, but I think there's a... Uh, what is it? I think you, I think it actually uh, reduces your rate of fire a little bit. Oh, yeah, okay. That makes sense. That's just like the minigun, or there's something equivalent to a minigun where it gives you two rapid fire, but then it decreases your power by one. So if yeah, Gat- Gatling. Yeah. Gatling. Yep. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yes, the Gatling. That was another one. Are there any other major power ups that I'm forgetting? Try to think. Because as far as I know, that was all I encountered during my playthroughs. Oh, uh, the Holy Grail. Oh, yes! Holy cow. How did I forget the Holy Grail? I thought I had that in here somewhere. Holy Grail is mad OP. It basically fire this cone of uh, of wine, uh, which, you know, could ostensibly just be like a, a huge cone of blood, but it's super heavily damaging, and uh, I think paired with fecal fire, that actually does uh, quite a number as well. Yeah. Holy Grail is awesome. Holy Grail with Crossbone is insanely good. Oh, yeah. You've almost got 360 degrees of coverage with that. Yeah. And and there are other power-ups that you can combine together. Like the laser that I mentioned before, you can combine that with a double-barrel shotgun and essentially have a double laser coming out of the front of your ship. Um, oh, yeah. Much like the double I, there, laser. There was actually... One of the times that I took on uh, w- one of the, the more difficult fights, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little later on, uh, I did have uh, double laser and also three laser turrets. And it just <laughs> che- chewed right through them. It was kind of unfair. Yeah. Yeah, I had that one time, too, where I had um, double laser and two laser turrets and a missile turret. That's one thing to note is that you can only have three turrets equipped, so any turrets that you find or buy after that point are completely useless and they won't do anything. Yeah, they, they won't even... Uh, they, they also won't replace uh, uh, anything on the... Um, they, they won't replace any of the existing turrets. Right. Oh, that's right. The Invincibility Star. I forgot about that. Pretty oh, important. yeah. It, it is, largely. <laughs> yeah. Yep, Except for... <laughs> Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say there are a lot of Mario references, more than you might expect in this game. Right. There's a lot of references in general. I think we'll get into that later on, right? Yeah. So who wants to talk about the playable characters? All right. Well, uh, your basic characters, uh, when you start off uh, on the outside, you've got... um, You know what I was about to say? Marco Rossi. That's totally Metal Slug. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Garrett Zappola uh, he has uh, he's a reluctant hero uh, his health is failing uh, failing him and uh, he's uh, you know going into the fray one more time um, he's obviously seen some stuff <laughs> you can tell by his portrait um, and he's he's your basic all around uh, your basic all around character he's going to have a decent rate of movement He's going to have a decent fire rate. He's going to have a decent fire power and a moderate amount of shield. Uh, his counterpart on the outset is uh, it's Gwen Rossi, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah. 
um, trying to uh, trying to reach for those names. Now she's going to move faster. She has one fewer shield, but she's got a wider shot. Um, so that that's the trade off that Gwen has when compared to uh, to Garrett. Um, as players uh, make progress and play more of the game, um, more and more characters are going to be uh, unlocked. There's two more that get unlocked through uh, through gameplay. Uh, the first is uh, John Johnson, or JoJo for short. Uh, he has skipped all of the leg days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's got uh, electrified extremities, and he is super powerful, but he's got a very slow uh, rate of fire. Uh, however, if you can boost that rate of fire, or if you can get the uh, the proper items in a given run, uh, he is a very good uh, character to use uh, for the uh, the end game stages because he's he's able to dish the pain uh, while maintaining a decent amount of shield power. Uh, and then finally, there's uh, Sophie Jefferson who uh, is basically your... She's basically a D20. <laughs> when, you, uh, when, when you start the game, uh, all of her attributes are randomly, uh, randomly applied. So she'll have uh, a random amount of health, a random uh, rate of fire, a random... Uh, what am I trying to say? A random uh, rate of movement and a random fire power. And uh, using these attributes, you know, you'll have to make do with what you've got. Sometimes it can be excellent. Other times, not so much. Uh, there is also a fifth unlockable character, uh, which I don't know if we uh, are going to cover that now or later. Should we now or later? Uh, I mean, we might as well cover it now. It's it, I've got All it right. in the in the notes here. Okay, so the next character, the the final character is Swag Thulu, <laughs> who has moderate. <laughs> He's got moderate ship speed, a wide, sh- a wide shot, super powerful, but he only has one shield. Yes. Uh, so his uh, his OP nature is uh, is basically countered by his uh, inability to take much punishment at all. Uh, of course, uh, given uh, you know a decent amount of uh, of shields, uh, if you collect enough of them, it should be pretty easy to get at least two or three extras throughout the game. Um, that's one thing actually that uh, should be mentioned as well. Shield pickups, as long as you're at full life, will uh, build up a bar underneath your shield count, and after five, you get another shield. Yeah, which is a really helpful system, given the amount of of uh, variation in from you know from run to run. Where exactly, yeah, you know, you don't, you're not entirely sure what you're going to encounter or what. Uh, what specifics are going to be thrown at you. So it's good to be able to, to build up some extra shield hits to um, help you counter some of that. And unlocking him seems to be a little bit variable as well. I didn't understand on the PC version, I beat the shop Thulu and locked him that way. But on the switch version I was playing and I, Lost, but I was playing as Garrett, and it still unlocks Swag Thulu. So I'm not sure how that happened. Huh. That's interesting. I wonder if that's a bug in the Switch version. Hmm. Because I know on PS4, I had to beat Shop Thulu uh, in order to uh, in order to unlock Swag Thulu. 
I wonder if maybe that was added a little later down the line because uh, Shopthulu is uh, is such a challenging character. That could be. Could be. Maybe that's been patched in. Yeah, I verified that it was the latest version. I thought that maybe <laughs> I missed something, but hmm. that could be. I mean, it's, it's just too hard for most people, and it is definitely difficult to do. I know that, Guru, you had to use, was it JoJo, in order to get him powered up enough to do it? Yeah, I think I want to say I beat him with JoJo when I took him on, and I made the mistake of of waiting to take him on until the second loop. Uh, it certainly would have been easier to unlock Swagthulu in the first loop, uh, but I I kind of just went for it and got through that first loop pretty quickly. Um, so that was one of the things that that I failed to do. And of course, we're mentioning Shopthulu here. One thing we haven't mentioned is that. After stage two and stage four, you encounter Shopthulu. And so, in similar fashion to like the shops in Kid Icarus, for example, where you walk into the room and there's three items and you jump to the one that you want to get, here you, you encounter Shopthulu and you got the three items. And assume, assuming you've collected enough coins, uh, which you get throughout the course of the of the level as you take out enemies and, and things like that, you just dash into the item that you want to buy, and then uh, that will then you know buy that item for you. And if you've got enough money, sometimes you can buy more than one in in any given visit to the shop. But it only appears twice per run, always at the end of stage two and stage four. I would have to say that that gives me another idea for something to add to the game: credit card. Instead, if you don't have enough coins, it subtracts from your score. Oh, <laughs> like in Kid Icarus. Yeah, where it takes away hearts from you. That would be definitely interesting to see that implemented. Yeah. As a rare item drop, that'd be great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Exchange score for whatever, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Also, it's worth worth mentioning as well, if you are able to defeat Shopthulu, you can just steal all this stuff. Oh, right. It reminds me. It's like it reminds me of the um, Skyrim uh, Skyrim method where people were putting buckets over the shopkeeper's head and just stealing everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I should also mention that Swag Thulu is pre- is very interested in dance and there, and he has. If you're doing well on the uh, retro throwback or the '80s bowling stage. He starts dancing in the background of the stage. I thought that was a really nice touch. Oh, oh yeah, the uh, sat- Saturday Night Fever style. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and the the funny thing about um, the funny thing about about Swag Thulu too is the character select music changes with him. You know, it's it's the same for the other four characters, but then when it comes to him. He comes strolling on the screen with a big boombox on his head, and you get this this music. It's with this pulsating, super beat. obnoxious. It's great. Oh yeah, it's hilarious and it's awesome. And and then when you select him, he dabs, <laughs> which is just stupid, <laughs> but again, awesome. Uh, because it's Swag Thulu was very much a product of his time. Oh yeah. All right, so we'll move on to the secret bosses. There are a couple here. We've got the green mushroom, which you defeated to get extra life. The red mushroom, you defeated to earn two additional shield hits. Red mushrooms, which I have to say, 
I was kept getting the red mushroom after I got the green mushroom once, and that was pretty disappointing. The green mushroom was so much more useful. And I oh, think yeah. that's what you used to finish off Shopthulu, right? Uh, yeah, I want to say I probably, the run that I defeated Shopthulu, I probably had the extra life. It certainly makes it easier. We have a sort of triangle shape, sort of like Eye of Providence type creature that is called premonition it's a large red triangle that fires waves of bullets and there is a i I think i'm thinking of the right one but there's a variance of this as well that is gold and goes faster there's a couple of these that have variants here and i believe that one gives you a p or power icon Mm. and then there's a toilet monster which you can see it will be sort of sitting out there in the bottom right hand of the, of the corner usually where all the uh, m2 bars go <laughs> right uh, yeah if you defeat him and get him off of the toilet you get a random power up uh, in my place uh, he usually left behind virus oh, okay that will make sense yep I only got him a couple of times so I didn't have a constant stream or a good stead or idea of his drops. All right. Right. Yeah, I think I only encountered him twice as well, and I beat him at least once. And I think you might be right. It might have been Virus that he dropped. Because, you know, all that fecal coliform bacteria. (laughs) (laughs) Makes sense. (laughs) And last, we have the Doom Letters. You defeat for random power-up and defeat them all to spell. Well, we won't spoil it here. But the the Doom Letters are the one I know in your run-through is that they were unlocked. But in the ones that I grew played through, at least the ones I saw and the ones I played through, they'll show up as sort of like shooting stars, bright shooting stars, where they'll be yellow. And they, if you have unlocked it, they'll just drop a power-up. Oh, right. Yeah, and there there are times where you get those shooting stars where they'll just randomly drop a power up, but I didn't unlock. I don't think you unlock the doom letters until you beat the final loop, right? Uh, that's a good question. Actually, I think the doom letter. I think there's doom letters in just the fourth loop. I think that's where they sort of start appearing. Oh, I never got any yeah. doom letters during any of my fourth loop playthroughs. So it was only after that that then I saw the message that Doom Letters unlocked or whatever. Maybe I'm not I'm not sure, but I I seem to think that uh, I've I've got Doom Letters in in a game file that I uh, that I haven't completed the game. Hmm. I might be wrong, but uh, okay, because I don't I don't think I've beaten the PS4 version. I beat it on PC. Oh, gotcha. Not 100%. Anyways, uh, yeah, collecting the Doom letters is hilarious. Uh, you owe it to yourself to try to do it. Okay. Well, I might have to go back and do that then. Are there any other hidden bosses? Because those are the only ones I encountered. Uh, yeah, defeating or defeating all of the uh, all of the Doom letters will get you to like a supreme final boss. It is the hardest boss in the game. Oh, wow. And... <laughs> And it's it'll have you in stitches, but like you've got to contend with its fire, and it's just it's it's a bit much. Mm. Okay. <laughs> so uh, it should also be mentioned with regards to the doom letters. Um, in order to spell uh, what's required of the doom letters, uh, you are going to have to extend your gameplay past stage five. 
Oh, okay. I wondered about that because when you go through the game and you get to the end of stage five, there's the little thing that comes on screen and you dash into it to activate the final boss fight in the various loops. Yes. So you essentially have to loop the game without doing that, which makes it more like a traditional sort of cave two loop thing where you get to the next the next uh, loop of the game or whatever, and it's harder and there's more bullets and there's more going on. So, okay, I wondered about yes. that. So, and so you know that, uh, you know, the, the, the boss area uh, is like this black mass that you dash into it, but it, eventually it just goes away. Right. And th- this, this stage resolves. That will happen in every stage, every subsequent stage. Uh, so you, if you just let the boss go, you can keep going and going and going, and it'll just get harder and harder and harder as you do. Uh, but yeah, that's how you—that's how you're able to spell out the doom letters. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So, yeah, obviously there's there's more game yet to to uncover. <laughs> but but it's st- uh, basically. If you can complete the four loops of the game, you get a credit roll and you have beat, quote unquote, the game in uh, kind of the basic sense. Uh, but yeah, obviously there's more to do than one thing that that one thing that I noticed after I after I completed that fourth loop and got the all stages clear uh, message in the credits roll. Uh, there's supposed to be other modes that you can unlock or that will unlock, but I didn't see any other modes on the title screen, so I wasn't sure if that just opens up new stuff that you can unlock within the game as you're playing, or how that works. I'm looking into it now. Oh, I know what it is. I know exactly what it is. So, uh, when you beat it, uh, there's going to be additional uh, things that'll appear as you start your game. Uh, There's going to be, like, hardcore... There's like ultimate hardcore and then there's random. So like you can really randomize your game if you choose the you have to crash into them, right? You can really, really randomize your game by choosing the die. Um, It'll take any stage and mix it up with elements from completely different stages. And it is the hardest thing that you'll play. Hmm. Yeah. And of course, there's like hardcore mode where you've only got like, uh, you, you still have the same shields, but you can have a heart attack. Oh. <laughs> uh, if, if you graze up against bullets, it creates tension and eventually uh, you'll you'll end up going into cardiac arrest until you can uh, be defibbed and then you'll come back and you'll be able to, you know, continue playing. But like, I never got used to that mode. <laughs> Uh, my review happened, and I, I quipped that it was uh, serious like a heart attack, and I had a literal heart attack like the next day. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that happened. Good grief. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's something that can happen in hardcore. And then there's like the, there's a, you know, an, an even harder core version of that that's, you know, more difficult to get through. But yeah, those are unlocked when you, uh, when you complete the game. Okay. For even more to do. Yeah. See, I wondered about that because when I got to the fourth loop, when you first start out in stage one, you get this red skull that's sort of coming down spinning from the top of the screen. And if you dash into it, that, that takes you to hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Right. Whereas if you just skip it, then you're just in the fourth loop 
you know, proper. Yeah. Or whatever. Regular old game. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, a, a, a second skull comes down with it, which is, you know, even more menacing looking, um, which is, you know, it, it creates an even harder situation for the player. And then the die, there's a die as well that you can, you can choose. And that will, uh, like I said, it just completely randomizes the entire game. So if you're looking for something that's full random, that's your mode. Okay. So roll the die if you want to die, essentially. <laughs> yeah, more or less, yeah. <laughs> Welcome to random. Uh, that just doesn't have the same ring to it. <laughs> roll that 20, 20 sided death. Wow. It's usually a one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Is that good or bad? Critical fail, man. <laughs> oh, well, okay. So, there's a lot going on in this game. I mean, there's a lot of... As we said, there's a lot of variance to, you know, the different stages. Uh, you know, stage one, you're always sort of in the... Uh, you're, you're in space. You start off and you see space junk basically floating beneath you and usually there's a space shuttle uh and other things that you can kind of see off in the in the distance um and there's always a few elements that are that are generally present in stage one but they'll be in different orders and then there are other elements that may or may not appear in a particular configuration of stage one that you get uh when you when you start a run and so it's interesting how there are times when I played that I got hit with all the stuff in stage one that I struggle with uh, in one run. <laughs> so I didn't even get out of stage one because I would get into that situation where I would make a mistake and lose a shield hit. And then that would sort of snowball into me making other mistakes because I got, I got flustered and then my run would end. But then I'd have another run where I would get through and uh, do really well in stage one. Uh, and, uh, you know, even a couple of times when I would get a, a essentially a perfect run of stage one, which I guess segues into another element that we should mention. There's another, uh, quote, item I guess you can get in the game, which is the tank module. And it's this giant ship thing that you can basically dock with and it it does several things number one it slows down your movement but it makes you more powerful because it essentially amplifies your ship's firepower and it has some of its own that it sort of adds on top of that yeah i call it metal slug mode basically yeah uh it also has the ability to kind of collect items for you um, so there are certain items that when you see them, you have to dash to collect them, like the power icons, the shield icons, etc. Uh, I think most items are actually like that, where you have to dash to collect them. So when you hit the dash button while you have the tank module, it basically ejects the tank module out in front of you. And so if there's an item there, instead of you having to dash into it, you just throw the tank module at it and it'll collect it on your behalf and then you dash again to get back into the the tank module but if you if you manage to go through a particular level and you don't take any hits and you get rated perfect 
and then at the end of the stage, you'll be rewarded with getting the tank module at the beginning of the next stage. And that works really well on, on the sun stage. Let me tell you, you just eject once and go straight into the sun. <laughs> right. Yeah, because the sun's gravity will pull it in. But you get rated at the end of each, uh, each stage in terms of your performance. So if you take no hits during, no shield hits during the course of the stage, it's perfect. If you take one hit, your, your uh, performance is rated great. If you take two or three hits, it's meh. And then if it's four or more shield hits, it's get good. <laughs> so a <laughs> little bit of a, little bit of a, a bit of a light scolding there from, uh, from Airbong for, for not playing well. And I'll just say, I heard a lot of get good <laughs> during the course of the month. I know, Ed, you have got some, you know, some stuff that you know about the game that may not may not be as public knowledge or, or may not be stuff that we've already mentioned here, you know, just through organic play. Uh, is there any fun tidbits that you can share with us? Uh, well, uh, the the sun is a uh, there was a point of contention when I was first, uh, you know, playing the game for review. And uh, it, it revolved around uh, mad events. Mm. Which we did we talk about mad events yet? We haven't, and we definitely need to touch on that. Yeah. So a mad event is basically a uh, a randomly selected um, challenge that will just kind of happen every now and again. Sometimes they won't happen as often. Other times you'll get mad event after mad event. However, uh, there are certain mad events that don't work especially well in some, uh, some stages. Um, one of them is reverse control. Oh. So basically what happens is that your screen will go into a negative, right? So uh, basically the colors will get swapped around and um, your controls will be reversed. So when you press down, you'll move up. If you press left, you'll move right. What that, uh, what that ends up doing on the sun... <laughs> Is it makes you sort of uh, you know go go all over the place and the, the gravity just completely messes messes with uh, you know your your sense of where where to move uh, when the negatives are or when the negative movement is in play. Basically, outside of doing like a pure random run, uh, if you're playing the sun, you will not you'll you'll never get negative or reverse movement because uh, I suggest. See, now, I wonder if maybe that hasn't been patched yet in the PS4 version, because I did a couple of times get the reverse control on the PS4, or on the Sun stage, on the PS4 version. That's weird, yeah, I know. It may may have been missed. Hmm. I'm not not 100% on that. But uh, yeah, no, the uh, at least in the PC version, for sure, I haven't had reverse uh, control on the Sun since it was patched out. Interesting. But yeah, mad events come in multiple forms. The secret bosses we talked about, a couple of those you can get through a mad event where you'll see a an indicator that will show uh, that something's coming. Uh, so you'll get this... Uh, looks like a, a play on the whole Mario green warp pipe kind of thing that'll jut out from one angle of the screen... 
And if you enter that, then you'll get into the, the secret boss fight, like the green mushroom or the red mushroom. Uh, or the toilet monster. Um, some mad events will be obstacles that you need to uh, to dash and dodge or what have you. So there will be a mad event where there will be this big column of fire that will be shooting out diagonally across the screen and you'll have to dash across it and then quickly dash across the second one. Or what's another one? There will be a, a brief meteor shower that you'll have to contend with. Or there's a weird one where there will be these two goofy blue, like deformed My Little Pony unicorn things that show up on screen and do these rotating columns of bullets that it'll fire at you. And you have to try and destroy those things and, you know, dodge their fire patterns and stuff. Small detail on that, by the way. They're uh, both uh, barfing and pooping rainbow bullets. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yes. I thought that would be a good uh, good way to add in a quick um, callback to Nyan Cat. Oh, the Neon Cat? Neon Cat, yeah, sorry, Neon Cat. Oh, yeah. Hmm. All sorts of ideas for the sequel. Let's get on it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Right. One of the uh, things that I did like about the Mad Events, and I'm not sure if this was previously covered, but I didn't hear it, was... That when the controls are reversed, the uh, ship turns blue. Yeah. So it makes it a little bit easier to see. That's one thing. Like, um, so mad events here. What's everyone's favorite mad event in the game? Honestly, I like the ones where they give you a free power up. <laughs> yes, I was literally going to say that. Free, free item mad event. <laughs> Nothing better. But otherwise, I mean, otherwise, I think if you're just going for, I, I like when they when they sort of randomly give you the ability to fight a secret boss because that's when you can fight the green yeah. mushroom and get that extra life, or the red mushroom. Even though it can occasionally be a jerk, and I sometimes struggle with dodging through its waves of bullets. Um, and end up taking shield hits that I then just recover when I get done. So it kind of feels like a wash. Of course, with that, uh, by that same token, you sometimes have to fight the lazily drawn star. Mm, yes, that's true. That's <laughs> the other secret boss. And uh, it's it's uh, it's items are arguably less um, good, right? <laughs> and there's there's mad events where. Uh, you get these sort of walls of plasma or whatever that kind of close in on you and on your position, and you're you're supposed to sort of figure out where the narrow space is that you're going to be able to fit to. Sometimes it closes in on both sides. Other times it's at an angle, or sometimes it'll be it'll close down into a small square, and so you kind of have to yeah. maneuver where that's going to close in on. And then it's the wall of fire that usually I see a lot on the sun stage where you just have have to dash in between it. And you get the stuff too with the lines of those invincibility blocks that you have to navigate through. Right. The other thing about the dash that we haven't mentioned so far is there are times when you'll be presented with something on the screen that'll sort of flash 
And if you get within proximity of it, like with a shield or another power-up that you dash into to, to collect, um, because normally you dash forward, there are these deals that will give you the ability to dash to its position. Uh, so there will be times when there will be a row of bullets or a laser <clears throat> that you can't just fly through. Uh, and so you'll, you'll have one or more of these little target points that you can dash to. And so sometimes what you have to do is, is hit the dash button in quick succession uh, to dash from point to point to point to sort of get through an obstacle. Whereas normally there's a cooldown period when you dash before you'll be able to do it again. But with those, because it's specifically targeted, it sort of changes up that mechanic a little bit so that you kind of have to do it a little bit differently then. Uh, and so that's one of the things that sometimes throws me is <clears throat> is whether or not <clears throat> I can I can time those properly so that I can dash 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 to get through you know all of those uh, those target points so I can pass by that obstacle and not take any hits. You know I'm gonna coin a term here. We'll call it dash chaining. There you go. And and so that that will be uh, part of our, our uh, additions to the new game here. Well, it's a new play term, dash chaining. One of the things dash, I yeah. <laughs> one of the things I did find out about these is it's not directional. So if you wait for enough of the screen to fill on, you just hit smash on that button. You know, you like and subscribe, hit that button, and <laughs> it. it <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it won't matter where you're at it will just follow you through right now there's also a, a caveat to the whole thing too because there are some stages that have hazards uh, that are baked into the stage design uh, where you uh, you can pass through stuff like lasers and like uh, rocks and stuff like that there are certain things that are like really pointy and if you uh, use a dash to go into a, a targetable uh, point to auto dash into that point, you'll hit these obstacles and you'll sustain damage in certain situations. Mm. Um, yeah, there's that. Uh, the, the fourth stage in uh, the first loop, for example, is a great example of this, uh, where you've got kind of uh, the, the labyrinth of, uh, of these sharp, pointy uh, walls, and you got to be careful not to dash until you're at the right spot, otherwise, you're going to end up taking a ton of damage. Yep, that's right. Yeah, there there are a bunch of different mad events. There's one, the one that I hate is the one where it's uh, low gravity, where you get oh, yes. pulled down toward the bottom of the screen, and your your best bet is to dash and then hold up on the joystick or D-pad or whatever to slow your rate of descent, if you will, toward the bottom of the screen, so that you can avoid, yeah. you know, the hazard that's at the bottom. Oh yeah, there's another uh, stage that uh, that happens frequently, and I think it's in the geometries of horror loop. Yep, uh, where you've got all the pyramids in the background, and it's uh, that's a challenging stage, but it's not something that can't be overcome. I think there are harder stages in that one, but it's still, it, it's a, a great place to sort of perfect how to uh, overcome and even uh, use gravity to your advantage. Yeah, that that stage definitely gave me trouble uh, when I was going through the game. Uh, but yeah, I mean, 
I want to touch on some of the references because there's a ton that we kind of mentioned at the at the top of the episode. Um, there, you know, like you said, Adika, there's a bunch of Mario references. Um, you know, when please you're don't the, sue me. Yeah, the the ghost boss in the bowling <laughs> space bowling stage. It's one of those ghosts. Yeah, it basically looks like a one of the one of the ghosts or monsters out of Pac-Man. Um, you know, just kind of slightly varied. It's like a green, a green ghost, and uh, that boss can be a bit of a jerk. Yeah, he he can be tricky at times. And that's a whole that whole space bowling thing is another deal where bowling balls in the stage become target points, and you can dash at them to then knock down pins or take out certain enemies. And we haven't even really touched on the enemies in the game so much, and I don't know that it's that important, because a lot of the enemies in the game are, I'm not going to say inconsequential, but they're certainly not as important as individual constructs as I think they are in, in other shmups, because they just kind of become part of the set dressing for all of the zaniness that's going on. I would say uh, more so than the enemies themselves, their patterns are more significant. Yeah. Yeah, because one of the interesting things that the game does is it sort of telegraphs its its movements and its, uh, its overtures in a way by sort of giving you an indication of where a hazard is going to come in on screen by giving you an indicator at the side or top or or whatever of the screen to kind of tell you where something's going to be happening. And then it's up to you to then react to that uh, once you kind of see what's happening or coming on screen. So whether that's a, a wave of floating eyeballs that you need to shoot down or, or uh, you know, a, a hazard of rock formations and things that you need to dodge through or lasers that you need to dash past or something like that. You know, there's there's all kinds of of these different elements that the game will throw at you, and it, like I said, it kind of telegraphs these things, but they always come in in different orders, and so it's a it's an interesting way to kind of to kind of approach the design because you think about some some games where. You know, they've got sophisticated graphics and you see, you can kind of see what what enemies might be coming because, uh, you know, in a top-down shooter, for example, you might see the shadow of a helicopter coming into the <clears throat> into your field of vision before you actually see the sprite of the helicopter, for example. Things like that. This is kind of a twist on that, I feel like. A way for the game to sort of give you a half a second to sort of mentally prepare for whatever it is it's going to throw at you. Yeah, you know, I can't quite call... I mean, this is copyright, so I can't use this term, but it does feel like the game gives you spidey sense. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But there are other references, too. Uh, You mentioned earlier addicted all the Mario references. You know, and one one of the stage three iterations has has you going through uh, and giving you the ability to shoot down what are basically green Goombas. 
Yeah. Or... And there's, there's like, piranha plants as well. They're kind of a pain. Yeah, the piranha plants are a pain. They jump, and you have to either jump over them or run underneath of them with a crawler. Yeah. Those shells. If you hit the shell and you get enough of them, you get a automatic shield. Right. Similar to in, uh, you know, the later Super Mario games or the Super Mario games where you kick a, a turtle shell and if you hit enough enemies in a row uh, then you'll get a one-up. And it's not just the um, visuals, the sound too, I believe we'll get to this in a little bit, but the sun stage sounds awfully familiar to a certain Konami series. Mm. Right. Or like the boss of that stage, that that crawler level, you get to the end and it's basically a giant Koopa Troopa <laughs> that is a, a, a total Bowser reference, and you have to shoot him with your, your flamethrower enough that he sort of slumps over, and then you can sneak behind him and jump on this big green deal that's essentially like a P-block in the you know Super Mario 3 and Super Mario World and the later games that then, like in the first Super Mario, where you get to the end and you touch the thing and it pulls the floor out from underneath Bowser. You know, it's basically that. So it's sort of yeah. a, a fun little send-up to those games. Not not to mention the Fire Flower uh, power-up as well, where you get, uh, you know, just from the one shot to the three branching shots. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I was going to say that the stage itself seems like something that could have been inside a uh, Super Mario uh, Super Mario 3 for the Game Boy had they not gotten the Wario sense it, you know the Gunpei Yokoi developed Mario Game Boy games are so different especially the first one which had STG stages in it yeah it almost feels like th- that it, it, it's uh, I hate to use the term spiritual sequel but it, it could have belonged in, in a Game Boy game right I'm trying to think of some of the other some of the There's other references. A, uh, Zombie Hitler, which is pulled from Bionic Commando. Oh, yes. Yeah, Zombie Bad Guy in the PS4 version <laughs> for some stupid reason. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, that's uh, Sony's censorship. And you know what? I, I reached out to Arabong on this. And um, because he's the kind of guy that, like, you know, he'd, he'd do something like that to poke fun directly at Sony. Mm-hmm. And I thought for I thought for sure that was an intentional joke, but no, it was it was real censorship from uh, from Sony. Wow! Unfortunately, but he he did say though that he he wanted to call it censored bad guy. <laughs> oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> Which I think yeah, that would have been a pretty uh, pretty chef's kiss moment. Um, there was something else though. Uh, so zombie Hitler and his giant eyeball. Uh, one of our viewers actually made a suggestion uh, of zombie eyeball and his tiny Hitler. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I brought that to him too. And allegedly, if he gets a chance to like expand on this game or if he does something with it, he is going. He he thought of the whole thing. Like he the, the eyeball would hold this little like effigy of a of a tiny Hitler and like shake him violently, and the sh- the blood would be his shots. Right. Oh, that's hilarious. Um, You'll probably also notice that there's a, a unique explosion to Zombie Hitler as well, where it's got that sort of splatter on the screen. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was actually supposed to be implemented into all of the bosses. They were all supposed to have something unique uh, in their explosion. But 
uh, he, uh, he, he basically, uh, either lost interest or something came along that prevented him from, uh, implementing as much as he wanted in. So, uh, he made sure to keep it as a particularly violent end to Hitler. Yeah. Appropriate. And then there's that other stage one boss that looks like it came straight out of doom, but is really easy. The one looks like a meatball. Oh yes. The, uh, the biomechanical... Um, it's like the, the big long acronym name there. Right. Well, and you wonder if the way it spells bio is B-Y-O. So if that's like a yeah. thinly veiled Bido reference, maybe? Could be. It could very well be. I do know that there's a lot of references to Gravity Falls in uh, in this game as well, which is confirmed. Mm. Um, the, the the pyramid boss there that you take on um, in the third loop, uh, Geometries of Horror, that is a direct reference to Bill Cipher. Huh. In Gravity Falls, yeah. Okay. So if, what you're saying is to understand this game, we must watch Gravity Falls. I got some watch. Well, some of it, anyways. Like there's, I, I think the, there's there's enough pop culture reference to uh, you know a, a very wide array of things that not only video gamers are going to enjoy the references that are here, uh, even a casual player from outside of the the shmup sphere and even outside video games can uh, can see these references and say, hey, I know that. Mm. We'll put a tagline: fun for the full, uh, fun for the. F- for all the family, kill zombie Hitler with you, with your kids. <laughs> it's a learning experience. <laughs> One of the things that I liked was uh, when you confront Cthulhu at the end of the game. You know that he he basically thinks that it's a dance competition, and it's then you know sort of a bit of a fourth wall break, where where he realizes you know are you. You, uh, he starts throwing out shield power-ups, and so you can dash into those and pick them up, and he's like, what, you only got the one move? And uh, and then, at some point, then you're given the opportunity to shoot at him, and he's like, whoa, dude, not cool, bro, kind of a thing. <laughs> and, yes. and then he's like, oh, this is one of those games, <laughs> you know? So it's just kind of funny how it's self-referential and doesn't take itself seriously at all. Yeah. So Swank Thulu told me this was a dance competition. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other one that we should mention that I can't believe I just didn't think of till now is Aliens. Oh, oh yeah. Yes, the, uh, the big trimorph. The yeah, big, the big trimorph. Yeah, which is basically a like a dollar store version of a xenomorph. <laughs> a dabbing dollar store version. Yes, a dabbing. It's because true, when you yeah. kill it, it dabs. Yeah. Oh, but don't forget, it's modified by the bad guys. Yes. <laughs> Next boss, I want to see Floss. Oh, God. Yes. Which one? I. It's, he wants to see a boss, a, a boss Floss, like do the Floss. Oh, good grief. DLC. That'd be hard to animate, like. <laughs> it could, or it could just be, um, or heck, yeah, you know, find some way to do a knockoff Carlton. <laughs> Now that would be amazing if if uh, you could get a boss to do the Carlton. It'd be tough, though. I mean, there's uh, allegedly some rights being uh, contested with uh, with that on Fortnite. 
Oh. Yeah. Well, maybe they could do a modified Carlton. They could. Call it the Carlston. Judge. Yeah. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Just different enough. Right. Or they could put on a, a fake parody show Dancing with the Cthulhu's. <laughs> Instead of Dancing with the Stars? That sounds like a, a you know, a, a sort of just bad and en- bad enough that it's good parodic reference. Heck, you know what? At this point, I say he's done a good enough job. Let's just let him make the next Parodius. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, there's yeah, there's just so much uh, so much that you can kind of uncover from one playthrough to the next. Various references and just little tidbits that kind of keep you coming back. Yeah, this is one of those games that you could play for five minutes or five hours and you still have a good time. That's one of the things I love about STGs, well, at least most STGs, is you get a lot for a short playthrough. And as Mark MSX likes to say, shmups value your time. Oh, I can't disagree with that. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. What you got of course, people? then there's the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, you can jump in for five minutes, or you could spend a hundred hours playing a game <laughs> like this. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that good. Like it is that good that I've gone back to it almost, uh, almost endlessly. Really, I'll go back to it even today, and it's been well over a year since its release. Yeah. It definitely has some staying power that I would not have I would not have guessed. So uh, let's talk about the graphics for a bit here. One of the things that I really liked is that it has a lot of personality. You know, it, it, it's of course it has a real cartoony style, and it sort of has the the heavy dark lines around your characters and scenery, and you know, like the the facial features of the characters and things. It sort of gave me a little bit of a, think of like a modernized version of a Hanna-Barbera sort of thing, or like some of the more current cartoons that have more simplified art styles and things. Like an adult swim? Or- yeah, that kind of a thing. And, and I love the personality that's injected into them. Like at the character select screen, when you select Garrett... He just sort of slumps over and has this dejected look on his face like, oh no, I gotta do this again? Oh, it goes even further than that too, because sometimes, every now and again, the uh, the background music drops out, and uh, his ship, you can hear this like rattly cough <laughs> as he sort of like blasts off. It is the funniest oh. thing if you can catch it. It's so funny. Oh. It's great. That is funny. Just this whole, <laughs> and off he goes. <laughs> or, or Gwen, Gwen has this, you know, sort of slight smile when you look at her on the character select screen, and then when you select her, she sort of stands up straight and gets this almost intimidating look about her, like, yeah, I'm ready for this. Or <laughs> a, t- a touch on the psychotic side is fantastic. Yeah. Or Jojo, you select him and. Suddenly, you see his uh, electrified nipples, I guess you could say, underneath of his shirt. And, you know, he sticks his arms up in this victorious pose. And it's pretty funny. 
Yeah, it definitely catches you on guard, uh, off guard. The uh, the uh, electric nips. Yeah, or the uh, the aforementioned uh, swag Thulu with the dab. Or yep. or Sophie Jefferson does this thing where she runs onto the screen, and then runs or runs onto the display, and then she'll run into the screen as if she's going to break the fourth wall and like then you see the glass shatter kind of effect happening and and uh, stuff like that or or during gameplay when you get certain hazards or whatever their facial expressions will change because there'll be a little avatar of them in the top left corner and so you'll see Garrett with this horrified look on his face from now uh, from time to time where you'll you'll encounter different things or Sophie, when you get down to like no life left, she'll she'll get angry and she'll flip you off or flip off the screen, you know. <laughs> I think uh, pound for pound, though, I think uh, Gwen's expressions are the best in the corner. Like there are these parts where she's just so completely done with your uh, with your garbage, and she she just scowls in a way that uh, you know it, it's it's like nothing else. <sighs> One of the things that really hit home for me on how well this was animated and how well this was done to give the characters personality was I don't know what game you were playing last Saturday, Ed, but it seemed like every time the ship got hit, that lady like rocked back in her forth in her seat several times over, and it almost looked like it was an X-rated game. I don't know. <laughs> oh, moving. right. Galaxy we're talking Storm. about, uh, yeah, that's, that's the one. That's, that finally came out in the U.S. eShop now. Don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it was based on an H game. Yeah. And let's just say the, the original PC version... It runs better, but oh boy. Yeah, it's rough. Yeah, it really goes a long way to give the game a sense of character, and I think that the graphics do... I mean, this has probably been used a lot of times, but they do a lot with a little. Right. And, or, and I didn't find myself at any such time going the screen, you know, like go, bring back uh, Ghost Blade with its uh, singing mosquitoes here where the characters <laughs> with a wheeze <laughs> uh, where the bullets match the backgrounds and it got confusing. That never ever happened in this game. I always knew what was coming and what was going in. Yep. It says a lot to good game design and graphic design for that. Except for Space Texas. I still get tripped up by those bullets. Yeah. The one thing about Space Texas that I found is that the the, the, the hint that they give you at the beginning of the stage is that the, the enemies have potato aim. And so it's like in the space bowling stage where the enemies come on screen and if you literally just sit there still, they'll shoot the two two groups of bullets or whatever, but they'll fly past you. They'll shoot yeah. at your position, but the bullets will fly past you. But there are times when you still have to move in Space Texas because either you'll be in the path of one of the trains or other enemies coming on screen. So there's still... Yeah, the, the stars are, are an issue. They're a big issue. The stars, and then also in Space Texas, you've got the rock formations that will, will be in your way sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah. But visually speaking, I think you're right, Addicted. I think the game does a good job of, generally speaking, communicating what is a foreground hazard, what's background, 
what the bullets are or you know the the enemy projectiles and and things like that so that you can clearly identify elements uh, because it it definitely has a a very retro look and feel to it well th- this ain't no r-type final two true I mean the the space bowling stage has a, a retro wave theme to it yeah it's very easy to read what what is actually can hurt you and what can't on there I'm like uh, as I mentioned within our type final two uh, it's, it's not so much the, the the full game it's that darn space battleship homage part I think it's like the third or fourth stage where stuff just sort of comes flying into view and it's really hard to tell when you're gonna be able to hit that type of stuff so that game this game to its uh, success does not have any of those moments or at least didn't for me right so what about the sound well well, hold on you know what I think would be fun to do on here is the graphics had all sorts of little meters at the screen some were funny like give me the toilet monster boss and I just thought back to Raiden 5 where we just sort of like a cheer meter that most people didn't use. It would be oh. neat to just put a meter on the side of it and pe- have people wonder what the heck it does. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like the kind of thing that would that would work well within the context of this game. It's a pinata meter. What's it do? It just increases your fun factor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Although, there is a uh, couple gauges on here that I don't know what they do. There's a, there's a couple right underneath the like the bombs, for example. They're, uh, they, they don't change. I don't know. It, that, that could be firepower. I have no idea. Um, but, like, I'm, I'm hitting stuff right now. I'm getting hit. Nothing's being reduced. So, I mean, I think there's, I think there's uh, a bit of credence to that. I, I think you might be onto something. <laughs> <laughs> all right so uh, you have to go this game has g- very well done graphics and i have to say i really enjoyed the fun chip to sorry chiptune style soundtrack of this game and i didn't find myself ever thinking to myself this is something that i just want to turn off and play some um, led zeppelin or wanted to play some megadeth or you know what so, i didn't want to turn off and listen to something else i thoroughly enjoyed the soundtrack and I didn't have the uh, steel vampire effect where everything sounds like it's going to explode your speakers or the explosions are too uh, too overdrawn too loud the voice samples were nice and I have to award this game th- this is the 2021 uh, shoot the core cast award for best use of a speaking spell in a game <laughs> yeah the, the voice samples in the game are interesting because you get the the sort of speak and spell effect with the character select, you know, where you get Garrett Zippola, Gwen Rossi, and, and, you know, the way it kind of says the voice or the character names in very robotic fashion. But then you also get... Swag Tool You. Yeah, Swag Tool You, you know, <laughs> But then in the game, you also get these really odd, computery, high-pitched kind of sounds. Like when you take out a full enemy wave, and it says, Bravo! 
or uh, Brava with Sophie Jefferson for some reason. Maybe she's Russian, Russian or something. Oh, bra- Bravo and Brava are uh, used for uh, male and female actresses. Okay. If you if if you're saying Bravo to a female performer, you would say Brava. It's a nice attention to detail. Oh, interesting. Okay, I wasn't sure about that. But you'll you'll get the it'll say Bravo. There's links like you said, this weird high pitched voice, or or you get to the end of the stage and and when it gives you your rating, you know it's this really muffled, perfect or great. like a a bit crushed uh, sort of down sampled uh, voice clip, which. Uh, you'd hear that kind of a thing on like an NES or a Game Boy game. Yeah, yeah. So it, it very much is sort of a callback to the low quality voice samples that you would hear in older games before we really had storage to be able to to have something that was, you know, sort of a Sega CD, PlayStation, Saturn kind of quality of full recorded voice. Quick tangent, actually. Allegedly, uh, you know the Sega logo uh, when you're firing up uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 on the Game Gear? Mm -hmm. Allegedly, that voice clip takes up half the memory on that cartridge. (laughs) I think I've heard that. That sounds about right because I mean it sounds like the same thing that happened to Ghostbusters on the NES. They they couldn't have enough room to finish the game. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean... You know, kind of calling back to the days of things like console ports or even the arcade version of Gauntlet, for example, where you get the really oh, yeah. low quality, you know, Red Warrior has shot the food <laughs> or where uh, Red Warrior needs food badly. You know, the, the really low quality, scratchy voice samples. And so it's kind of a fun callback to that. But some of the some of the voices are harder to understand because there's so much heavy effects on them but it it is uh, i guess charming in that way yeah you know maybe we can come up with a special collector's edition that comes with a tape recorder that you plug in via usb and just like the arcade game journey and starts playing song (laughs) that may be a bit too over the top that might be a bit too over the top but it would be a fun collector edition kind of you know useless trinket hey i take one of those uh You've seen those people who have come out with like miniature editions of those toys, you know, like a small version of an of a older toys, like '80s toys. Mm-hmm. I am pretty certain there's a small speaking spell. If that was inside the collector's edition for this game, I'd take it. Nice. <clears throat> the the other thing I appreciated was when you beat uh, a lot of the bosses. It's sort of a very understated sound effect that plays. Instead of a big explosion or something like that, you sort of get this little sound. And it's kind of a, <laughs> a fun subversion of the, the usual trope of beat the boss and get a big satisfying explosion or whatever. That was something I noticed right away. And I I thought that was kind of a, a, a funny little turn on, uh, you know, turn it on, the, on its head kind of a thing of a standard uh, genre convention. Uh, I wanted to ask, because I know when you reviewed the game, I, I'm i pretty sure you went into scoring at some level. And I know there's a multiplier at work somehow. 
but I honestly did not figure out how the scoring works in this game. Um, the scoring itself is actually very basic. Um, the multiplayer, uh, it, it basically just uh, builds up uh, as you take out uh, large chains of enemies. Um, and when your multiplayer gets to a certain point, um, I, th- I think it's like uh, four times or something like that. Maybe eight times. Four times, I think, is what the maximum is. Uh-huh. As long as you're taking enemies out, uh, this flashing gauge will build up and you'll you'll maintain your, your multiplier. However, if you are... Um, if you are uh, in overdrive, uh, you'll get an eight times multiplier. And uh, I believe your multiplier will go to higher levels if you play in hardcore as well. So if you want the best scores, you've got to play on a harder difficulty because that's where... Uh, you'll get the most consistent high uh, high multipliers. To that end, too, you'll get eight times the multiplier normally, but it'll ju- I believe it'll jump to sixteen on an overdrive. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. That that's one thing I noticed when I was playing through my initial my initial score for the first loop was something on the order of three hundred thousand points, and then on my on my loop two playthrough, I got something like four and a half million, and then I got six million in loop three, and then my final uh, loop four score was, or not million, it was like six hundred thousand or whatever, and then seven hundred some thousand points for my my last run through the game. So, yeah, you definitely, you you definitely score more the higher the difficulty level. Uh, I did notice that. But that would make more sense then if you if you go into hardcore then and have that opportunity you know to keep your multiplier up. And I guess the thing that the thing that is a bit of a downside is because there are enough randomized elements where you might get multiple mad events in a row uh, on a higher difficulty level or a higher loop that have no enemies or obstacles to destroy. Or you may get several segments stitched together in a stage where there's no opportunity to take out enemies. It's all just obstacles or things to dodge. There are times when you're going to go quite a stretch without a single enemy to shoot. So, the multiplier aspect is, it's not like uh, like a cave game that you can chain uh, through a stage or things like that, where you can really maximize those opportunities. Obviously, the scoring in the game, you can only affect the multiplier and maximize its effectiveness to a certain extent based on what the game throws at you. So it's still a bit of a dice roll in that sense. It is, yeah. I just checked my score. I think uh, my my best score is 1.4 million. Wow. And I'm currently rocking a 44 on the leaderboard for Steam. That's, That's pretty good. But yeah, scoring was something that I really just didn't 
didn't pay that much attention to because a again the the somewhat random nature of how a run's going to unfold makes it harder to count on getting a good high score but then b uh, I just never never really figured out how how that worked other than like you said just taking an enemies in quick enough succession succession to build and maintain a multiplier in terms of overall impressions for this game I kind of alluded at the beginning of the episode to the fact that you know as we talked about the question of the month that my tendency toward less random elements in games has kind of always been a thing. This game has kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of something beyond that. And I've had other other experiences with roguelite type of games. Uh, there's, um, oh, I can't remember what it's called, Project Xenon Valkyrie or something like that, I think it was was an indie game, the indie platformer that came out a couple of years back, and I got a review code of it and uh, wrote up a review for RF Generation. <clears throat> and it was a fun little game and a good design and all of that, but the difficulty of getting so far in a run and then dying and having no recourse because the power-ups that you had the opportunity to buy during the course of the game or what have you, sometimes you would have really good luck, and then other times the game would give you no help at all, and so you really had to build a level of skill within the game to sort of understand the basic structure of each level uh, and what the enemies and things were that it was going to throw at you, in order to, to really succeed. I feel like with with this genre, because of the quick pick-up-and-play nature of shooting games from a historical perspective, it's easy to sort of jump into a run and get some enjoyment out of it and sort of have a little bit of fun with the more random nature of how it's going to present the game to you and that be something that can kind of keep the the experience fresh but there's also a degree of trying to think of how to word this when i was playing there were a couple of times when i was kind of on the edge of my seat so to speak because a run was going relatively well, but I'd made a couple of mistakes, and so I felt like this could be it at any moment. I could, I could botch the rest of this run, and it'll be all over. And so there were a couple of times when a particular run, I would get to a, a boss and and then kind of get through that boss fight by the skin of my teeth, and it was very exhilarating, and it sort of took me back to that that kind of feeling that I got playing these types of games as a kid and not really understanding the the idea of 
sort of memorizing the level layouts and memorizing the boss patterns of things, but just sort of having fun playing the game, reacting to what's on screen, and taking it all in. You know, the, the audio-visual experience and processing it in the moment and deriving enjoyment out of that. And I feel like this game kind of takes that to the next level in a way because, yeah, there are certain elements that are generally going to be there, but the way that it's presented to you and the order that you get things in and how everything unfolds is going to be a little bit different every time. And so it sort of gives you that that feeling that, like I said, like as when I was a kid, that I can just sort of play the game, react to it in real time, and just sort of enjoy myself in the moment and not worry as much about grinding it out like I would with a more structured uh, or a more a more rigidly structured game, I guess I'll say. So that was something that I found to be pretty satisfying as I was playing the game and also a bit refreshing as compared to uh, a slightly more rote experience. Uh, what are your thoughts, Addicted? Well, I think that... There is, a, as I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of room for this type of games to gr grow. And I think that as we see Cute 'em Ups became their own form of STG, I think that roguelite STGs will probably continue to grow and we'll see more of this. It's not something that's so much of a community driven experience, such as you mentioned with your caves or even with a, you know, an upcoming. Uh, play of Area 88 or UN Squadron that that people could go yeah I think I can do this too it, it it in some ways lacks the communal aspect but what it lacks in the communal aspect it makes up for in the individual aspect your runs are unique to you and the challenge that you face it allows you to sort of craft your own story in a way hey remember that run where I got this bad one for uh, Gwen and I was almost dead and then I got the there it creates that talk ability. It reminds me a lot of playing games with um, friends being younger and, you know, hey, did you see that? And like that, that you don't normally get within games. So I, th I, there's definitely room for both. And it's quite surprised me on how much I'm liking the uh, roguelite elements. I'm trying a roguelite game right now called uh, Dreamscape or Dreamscaper. That mm. is about facing your inner demons, and so far it's pretty fun. I mean, it's not—I'm uh, not going to call it the best thing since sliced bread or anything. Well, maybe that will date me, <laughs> or the best <laughs> game ever. But at the same time, it's still an interesting take in in a genre where it seems that we sort of hit what we can do with the classic style or the classic mechanics. It it offers it a way to grow and offers it a way to gain an audience that we may not have otherwise. I mean, everyone was talking about R-Type Final 2 for a while, and that sort of just dropped off. I know that they're adding more to it, and I, I applaud them for everything that they did, but it, 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 it was more of a flash in the pan than setting the world on fire that 
I think STGs really need to grow, right? They, in, in order for them to be viable and for us to enjoy this, we've got to have some form of bringing new people in. And I, I think, you know, uh, I'm not pulling a Mandalorian reference here, but I, I think this is the way. <laughs> this is the way. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you've you've said quite a bit about the game uh, over time, Ed, in terms of your review and you know talking about it on streams and stuff. But do you have anything else to add, or any other thoughts that? I think uh, the roguelite subgenre. I think you're you're probably right. Uh, addicted. There's there's probably going to be some kind of a branch uh, with these sorts of games. Because, like, you've got your classics such as, uh, you know, Area 88, Gradius, and so forth, right? Like a traditional shoot 'em up Then you've got your Denmaku, like uh, Mushihime-sama, Ketsui, etc. Like the bullet hell style. But then there's this, the rogue light style. And I think it has enough of a difference that it could establish itself as a, as a more permanent subgenre. And one that could, uh, you know, gain more of a following as compared to, say, Denmaku or... Uh, or, or a classic uh, shoot 'em up, and I think there's uh, there's plenty of room for like communities and groups to grow uh, grow in this uh, subgenre space as well. Uh, for me personally, um, I like the uh, the infinite replay value of it because it's always a little different every time you go in. Uh, are you going to have a good day? Are you going to have a bad day? You know, it's to me, I I, I find that very fun not knowing exactly what's going to come next. Uh, as long as it's done in such a way that it's not going to completely wreck your day or be too oppressive or what have you, uh, when it's done properly as Project Starship X and uh, games like Steroden, uh, Steroden does it, I mean, I'm all for these types of games. So I, I'm looking forward to more of them making their way out. And I think so far, anyways, uh, Project Starship X is probably the gold standard uh, for these kinds of games. And I mean, there's new ones that are coming out all the time. You've got stuff like Black Future 88, which is more of a running gun. You've got more of a 3D perspective on things with uh, a game like Curve Space. Mm. Um, and uh, even Steradan has its own, uh, almost like a clone game uh, called Black Paradox. So yeah, there's there's plenty of room for this subgenre to grow, and I think there's there's uh, I, I think it's I think it's here to stay. I think more people are sort of uh, uh, more developers are sort of embracing the roguelite aspect, if not to boost the uh, the replayability of the game, but also to sort of uh, enhance and do things a little different from ones that are already there. So yeah, I uh, I. I 100% uh, enjoy this type of game for sure. And uh, Project Starship X, again, in my my opinion, is the best of them so far. Yeah, I haven't played a lot, but I would have to say I agree. I think it's well-designed enough and well-considered enough in terms of you can see the, the care that's been put into getting the elements right and with a pretty good balance that I think all of that combined with, you know, the wacky sense of humor and the, the good character and the personality that's in the game. I think all of that combined really elevates this 
uh, above what you might see uh, from you know from another game that sort of takes this roguelite approach. And I think it, it makes it much more of a complete package. All right, so now that we have shared our thoughts, let's go into some thoughts from the RFGen community. And uh, we got a lot of feedback, particularly from Gollum, who was in my streams and was playing uh, along with us during the course of the month. <clears throat> Gollum really really shared a lot of good information, took a lot of notes, and, and put some stuff in the thread. Uh, so Gollum says, uh, I had some time to spare, so I fired this one. Uh, fired up this one. Initial thoughts after two hours. And he gave a spoiler, uh, Gollum gave a spoiler warning in the, in the thread. Fun game, good music. Is the Sun Song a Gradius homage? I think that's what you were alluding to, Addicted. Yep. Uh, the dash gives you a huge amount of invincibility time, and it refreshes really quickly. Kind of reminds me of Vanishing Earth in that sense. And I wonder if that's a reference to Star Soldier Vanishing Earth on the N64. I don't remember a lot of invincibility unless you get a lot of iframes after picking up power-ups, maybe? Uh, oh, there's actually a shield. Oh, that's right. Yeah, there's. it's not even... I don't think it's even mentioned... Uh... It might be mentioned in the manual, but like, I mean, it's hard to find a manual for Star Soldier. True. Uh, I, I've got the Japanese one, and it, I think it's mentioned in there. But yeah, uh, that was that was something that I actually missed in my original review. I actually had to do a, an update on that. Mm. That's been forever since I fired that up, so I'd forgotten about that. Uh, let's see. The ship is invincible during the dash move, as you would expect. However, you are also invincible for a fraction of a second after the dash ends. Since you can only dash upward, learning that after dash invincibility is important when you need to fly through lasers that move up the screen under your ship. Uh, he uh, says, I like the tank. Normally your dash only points upwards. When you dash in the tank, though, you dash backwards to eject out of the tank. You can then rejoin it by dashing upwards. This creates moments with a fun up-down rhythm. I also like the crawler. There's a jump move that's like Aerostar, but better. You can even jump on enemies. Seems like the variation could be small enough that it's memorizable, despite some randomness in the level layouts. Having tried the first five characters, the easiest one for me so far is John. Uh, and then for visual notes, the lightning power-up is overload mode. Uh, this is important to remember because the screen will flash with a giant background image. The last thing you want to do is pick up this power-up when you are trying to dodge bullets. You'll obscure the bullets with a giant shaking splash image. Uh, the screen will also flash when you strike a dash target and when you take a hit. Flashing after you take a hit isn't so bad, since you have some invincibility afterwards. It's the flash after hitting a dash target that is important to anticipate, since you won't have any invincibility period to reorient yourself. The flashing HUD panels cannot be changed. You also can't put up paper or something to hide them, since they show your health and bombs. <laughs> There's plenty of other flashing stuff, uh, such as the ship-to-crawler transformation or boss tra phase transitions, but those are segregated from any danger. And then later in that uh, thread, Gollum says, It's neat how clearing the end level unlocks more content to play through. 
I spent like a week trying to loop the game by going through stages 6 to 10, and I didn't realize that everyone else was trying to loop the game by clearing the end boss on stage 5 in a second playthrough. Two senses for the same word. Uh, after clearing the TLB, you get a bunch of modes that give you higher scoring possibilities, so it seems worthwhile to focus on clearing the game before scoring. And Gollum did post uh, at least one full run, I think more than one full run, in the thread uh, that's on YouTube. Uh, the YouTube channel Super Golemio, I think it is. So go check that out. Uh, I think, ultimately, the challenge was memorizing the level blocks and mad events. Once nothing surprised me, it was all pretty doable. Also helps that your health maxes out at 10, which is ridiculously generous for this genre. Here's the stuff of, here's the list of stuff I wish I knew off the bat. What all the power-ups do. Um, if you don't charge the final boss portal, the game continues. If you clear the final boss multiple times, you unlock more content. Uh, if you collect shield restores with a full shield, it powers up the little bar under your shield counter. That bar has five notches, um, and you mentioned this before, Ed. Once you fill up the bar, you get an extra max shield. So it's beneficial to pick up shield restores, even if you have a max shield. Uh, aside from, you know, the 200 points. <laughs> um, your post-invincibility allows you to move about as far as you move up. Not all crash-attackable enemies will be locked on, such as the hands in the moon stage. Uh, you're invincible when, when transitioning into or out of the crawler. Uh, mad events undraw the screen all at once and immediately replace it with a new challenge. Normal challenges scrolling gradually from the top of the screen. Uh, we mentioned this earlier. You can hold up to fight gravity. By dashing, you can go up against the gravity. And then by holding up, you will slow your descent. This allows you to step up even when you are in the gravity down no health and burning will both give you overload power. That was one thing we did not touch on. Oh right, burning will that that will uh, boost up your uh, your score as well. Yeah, burning will he says is when you don't get hit for an extended period of time. Uh, getting in the hit in the tank does not cancel burning will. Uh, unfortunately, I was not good enough to get that very frequently, but I did experience that a couple of times. Uh, let's see, if you clear a, t a level without getting hit, you get a tank power-up. If you already have the tank, you'll get nothing. Please only watch the bottom three rows of tiles during the Stage 2 Sun boss. Stay toward the right so you can, so that stray bullets will get pulled into the sun and miss you, but be aware the hazards can still come from the bottom right. Uh, along with that, during the Stage 2 Sun, if you hug the right side of the screen, no bullets from eyeballs can reach you. Uh, background dims when you focus shot. Uh, lag on being able to dash again is not the same as lag on being able to re-enter the tank. I think you need to wait for the dash clock, which is the sort of animation that spins around, to reach 12 before you can go back into the tank. Uh, we mentioned the shops on stages 2 and 4. Space Texas has a discounted shop, which we did not mention. Uh, normal bombs only affect bullets. Uh, green mushroom mini boss drops a one up. 
uh, if Mad Event is written in blue, your controls are reversed. So that's what you mentioned earlier, Addicted, where your ship turns blue and sort of the whole screen, as you said, Ed, kind of has a negative effect to it, like a photo negative. Yep. Um, Mad Events are not tied to a specific stage. Uh, the Stage 4 Asteroid Belt boss, the, the big Trimorph, waves its arms. You can't touch its hands, but you can touch its arms. Uh, that was another thing that that we did not mention, uh, is that with several of the bosses, you can actually overlap the bosses with your ship sprite and not take damage, like the zombie Hitler and stuff like that. Uh, the lightning is an overload power-up. He already mentioned that before. Let's see, holding the shot button slows the ship without changing the shot. Uh, unless you're in the tank when you have a standard spread slash focus dichotomy. Each stage pulls from a bank of available stages based on the stage number. Stage 1 has a set of stages to pull from, stage 2 has its own set, and so on and so forth. Uh, that is, you can never have the cavern stage as stage 1, and you can never have the space junk field as stage 2. Um, stage 5 rotates as you clear each one. Uh, so far, I think these are the easiest stages to score in. So stage 1 is the Earth, of course. Stage 2, the Meteor Field. Stage 3, the Cavern. And Stage 4, the Computer. Um, and then final thoughts. Playing well means grinding the mad events into long-term memory. This really cuts at the core of the genre itself. A scrolling screen will express challenges gradually by movement of space. Something flies into view, and the player has a certain time frame to react. A core feature of STGs is the fact that things take time to happen because they have space to fly through, and that time is when the player forms a response. The fact that mad events flash on screen instantly means that your reaction needs to be entirely pre-baked. I needed to remember right away which mad event I had and position myself accordingly. There are a few other ways that the game worked against learning. A large amount of variety came in the different flight paths that eyeballs would take through the screen. I'm pretty sure they only go one way, but unless you have memorized each shape of warning signs, you won't know where the eyeballs will appear until you see the eyeballs enter the screen. The large amount of variation also means that a good portion of the game's complexity is wrapped up in different courses that the eyeballs can take. Contrast that to Star Soldier, where different flight paths are reflected in different enemy sprites, and there are fewer types. The warning signs in general were something I needed to adapt to. It's easy to understand how something moves through space by watching it move through space. Like, there's a pedagogical, uh, pedagogical value to just seeing an enemy move. The warning signs run counter to that, where the game signals the space that something will occupy but not the timing associated with that space. It's an interesting method of communication that I haven't fully wrapped my brain around. The dash move itself is very gracious. Internalizing the timing on this gives the player a large amount of leeway. Mad events and eyeball lines are all very particular, minute instances of memorization, but if you can hone the timing on the dash, that's a broad sort of memorization that applies across the game. In the end, the character I preferred the most was Garrett, since I think his default shot handles the largest number of challenges. You don't need to point-blank anything like with Shopthulu or Gwen. 
you won't have any gaps like with John. So a lot of really good thoughts from Gollum there, and some sort of good meta-analysis on how this game sort of fits into the, the genre as a whole, and how it stands out. So thank you for those thoughts. And he's not the first person who suggested Garrett. I've seen some other people online suggest Garrett just because the amount of shots he can put out. Yeah. It's interesting. I may have to try a couple more runs with him. Yeah, I kind of gra gravitated toward Garrett uh, in the late game. All right. Our next thoughts come to us from at Kristap76. Well, what more can I say about this game apart from the fact it tries to do things different and original? I wish the game would let you dash backwards, as in able to push back and dash at the same time. I know it's possible to dash backwards, but the way they pull it off in this game just feels awkward to me and hinders the gameplay. I think I prefer my schmutz to be a bit more conventional. I think the game tries too hard to be different, and this impacts my enjoyment. I'll keep playing, and hopefully this game will grow on me. Well, hopefully you do keep playing. I th think that this game, well, not for everybody, has... A certain amount of charm, and even if you don't get very far, you seem, at least in my opinion, seems to be pretty satisfied for the amount of time that you put in. For you feel like you made at least some accomplishment, or gotten a little farther, or figured out the mad event. Right, and that that was an interesting point about the dash. I kind of felt that way early on. Because before I started playing it, of course, I had already seen you, Ed, to stream it several times. But mm -hmm. I, I do feel like the dash could be expanded upon. So if Arabong was going to go further with this concept, that's something that I think could work well. Is to find a way to expand on the dash maneuver to make it more directional or give you a little bit more control over it. So it's not just a, a case of... Let's learn when to dash so I can then dash and then pull back or what have you. You know, it might be interesting to expand upon that idea a little bit. We call it like Omni Dash or something. Yeah, something like that. Uh, Corkman chimed in and said, This game wasn't really on my radar to buy and really play, but since the Shmup Club was in, so was I. Surprisingly, I really did like this game. I eventually got a hang of the dash mechanic and the randomness of the levels and mad events. Those things made the gameplay unique and memorable. The graphics were decent, and the music was really good as well. Thanks to the Shmup Club for this recommendation. So, Mini Console Man says, I bought this game a while back when I saw the glowing review from Studio Mudprints. I know those guys. <laughs> I initially played it several times, but wasn't really feeling it. Fast forward to this month, and I want to keep going back to, and seeing uh, what new enemies I will encounter and what pickups I'll get to, to destroy them. Uh, glad I finally gave this game the time it deserved. Thank you to everyone for the helpful tips, as there was so much to figure out with this game, which was half the fun. High score of 753,981. Got this score about halfway through the month, and although I feel like I've gotten better at the game, I couldn't manage to come close to this. Hmm. I want to say uh, also that um, I think when I played the first game, uh, it, it really wasn't clicking with me, the, the original uh, Project Starship. But as I, uh, as I made my way through more and more, uh, more loops, that's when things started to sort of open up. And when I, saw, when I started seeing the, uh, 
the footage and the screenshots of Project Starship X, I knew then that it was going to be a much better uh, sort of uh, realization of the concept. And so I went into it knowing that it was going to be at least a better game than what, than what I was playing. And I was kind of enjoying what was there, even though, you know, looking back, it wasn't it wasn't nearly as good. But yeah, um, I think a lot like we've come under fire from a lot of people <laughs> saying that our review was too glowing. We were giving it too much praise. Um, and I, I think uh, mini console man here sort of exemplifies that perhaps maybe they didn't look a little uh, they didn't look close enough. At what they were uh, at what they were playing so i get obviously it's not going to appeal to everyone but um you know don't play it for only you know a half an hour or what have you because you're not going to get nearly the full experience very true all right our last comment comes to us from full macho my apologies i got some time into this game but didn't get too far before posting here I appreciate the unique qualities about this game, but I also I found certain parts to be extremely frustrating. The game makers made the choice to have a style of being obtuse, and it works fine with incentivizing the player to pay attention and really learn about the game, but the settings and scoring explanation are unnecessarily limited. Excuse me, are unnecessarily limited. I never fully built muscle memory to hitting dash when I need to and I really wish I could have mapped it to a different button in the settings. As I type this I realize I think on the system level on the switch I could remap buttons but I totally forgot about that new feature. Either in the comments or in the stream I saw others like tank but I found it boring and tedious. Anytime I had the tank I was just ejecting to get around those enemies coming from the bottom and never really got to unleash its full firepower. For the scoring, seeing how others are also confused, I guess I can take a guess. It's that the high score and number at the top of the title screen is the sum of your loops. My total score was right around 400,000. My score now is 762,940. I've gotten as far as loop 3 stage 5, a full gravity stage is brutal. So it seems to me that the high score is the sum of the loops you finished, with my first loop at 400k and my second probably being around 360k. Yeah, it's interesting on the full macho's take versus the take that from mini console man and how different people put it. I know it's definitely different for different people, but I think to Ed's point, it's also a game that you can't see and, and and fully grasp within just a couple playthroughs. I, I hope that he continues playing. I hope that he finds some enjoyment about it, but it, again, if it, you find out the game's ultimately not for you, uh, you know, it's best to move, move on to something else, and that, that's why we have the Shmup Club. If you don't like a game, there's always next month. Yep. Well, thank you so much to all the participants for spending time with the game and for sharing your thoughts on the forum. We got a lot of good feedback and more participants this month than I expected, so I was very happy to see that. Uh, looking quickly at the high scores, Gollum came in at, at the top, uh, similar to uh, what you mentioned, Ed, at uh, 1,418,405 points. Uh, Fomacho had the aforementioned 762,940 points. And then Mini Console Man had 753,981 points. 
So, final thoughts. I really like this game. I was kind of surprised. You know, I, I liked the look of it and and uh, what I'd heard from the sound and everything from watching you stream it, Ed. But honestly, I wasn't sure I was going to actually enjoy playing it. But the more the month went on, I, I think it started to click with me. Early on, I struggled because of the things like the mad events and the sort of differing stage layouts and and so forth that I, I would get thrown for a loop pretty easily or being expected to sort of react to certain things very quickly. But like what Gollum said, once you sort of learn to memorize those little short segments, regardless of where they are in the in the stage, you can kind of start to then chain those those little segments together in your mind uh, as you're as you're playing the game and making quick little corrections or you know, oh, I got to do this one next, or oh, now it's this bit. So you kind of start to pull from that cache of, of I know how the, you know, 20 different potential spots within this stage are going to happen. I might only get 10 this, or I'm only going to get, you know, 8 or 10 or whatever this time around. Um, but I already know what those things are because I've seen them all now several times. And so I can kind of quickly extrapolate on the fly as to what it is I'm going to do. And so it's really an, an interesting exercise of combining memorization with quick reaction and fast problem solving to sort of create a, a, a unique loop of, of how to interact with the game. And I found myself enjoying this a whole lot more than I thought that I would. And I I came away feeling pretty enriched by the experience. Yeah, I would have to echo those sentiments. I think that the game, it was something that I had just meddled with a little bit. But it, it certainly... I guess you sort of have to untrain yourself in order to deal with... As we mentioned earlier, that it... This is it seems to be the start of a new subgenre, and it will be interesting to see where this grows and 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 how it grows in some of the games that come out of it. Because there's certainly a lot of creativity that can go into something like this, versus your tried and true methods of the traditional shmup or your damakus, where most of the stuff that people can think of has already been done. It. It's something that, for for me, was I was playing like, yeah, this is fun, but I don't see myself playing this too much outside of the month. To, you know, hey, just one more run, and I, I think that speaks volumes on its replayability. Well, if I'm looking to effectively master a game or something like that I'm going to stick with your Damakus your caves or stick with your your R-types and show that you know hey this can be done there's still validity in following that method and liking those games but this subgenre to me 
and seeing what comes next is the most exciting thing I've seen come out or come into shmups in quite a long while. Now, I guess uh, my final thought, like I gave this uh, this game the uh, 2020... Wait, was it 2020? Yeah. I think it was 20. It was the 2020 shoot 'em up of the year. And... Um, and there's probably a really good reason for that. I mean, uh, I don't think there's been another game that has hijacked our streams quite like Project Starship X has on numerous occasions. Like we'll we'll start uh, we'll start off a stream. We'll do a thing or two, but like then we fire up Project Starship X, and it's like two more hours. Yeah, <laughs> every single time because uh, because it's just so replayable, especially if you're using a character like Sophie. I like that added like. Uh, that added sort of roll of the dice to see if I can, you know, get a decent roll out of her. Like, it's it's so good. Um, I, I might make a push to get those final five achievements that I'm missing. <laughs> oh. um, but, uh, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I think um, I, I think this uh, this game still has quite, uh, quite a bit more staying power, uh, despite having spent over 100 hours in it myself. Uh, across the three different versions it's just super super good and yeah i'll uh i'll i'll, I'll stand by the uh the game of the year the, the shmup year for uh, for 2020 it's it was unlike anything else that came out that year and um it was probably the best thing about 2020 if i'm 100 percent honest <laughs> yeah yeah you know what I, would be nice to see somebody do is, since we've got all this ROM hacks and we've got ways of doing stuff, I know we have black labels and white labels, but give me a Ketsui randomizer or something like that. Let's add a little bit more of those elements into traditional shmups, or traditional Damaku in this case. Plot twist. They add ships from different games, and sometimes you have to use like horizontal fire in a, in a Tate uh, situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cruel. Use the Sakura from, I think it's the Sakura from, uh, like, Akai Katana. <laughs> oh, that would be cruel. <laughs> or, like, what, what, whatever the, the setup is for, like, Guange. But, like, throw that into, like, a, a pro gear situation. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could at least say I'm thankful that they didn't invert the screen or something like that for in here or flip the screen. Oh, that would be rough. Th now that's... A but you know what? Now that you've said it... <laughs> you wait, that'll be implemented in a patch. Yeah, or in the sequel. <laughs> that would be a mad event that I might... Uh, <laughs> I might end up rage quitting over. <laughs> That would change it from a mad event to a you mad bro event. <laughs> oh, well played. <laughs> oh, alrighty. Well, what do we got coming up next? Deep Space Waifus. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, not on this podcast. Uh, what we do have, however, is uh, we are we are uh, halfway through August already, and we have been playing Galaga eighty eight uh, along with Galaga ninety, and uh, at some point Galaga ninety one, since that's kind of all the same game. 
Uh, that is, of course, from Namco, arcade classic, and it is on multiple platforms. Uh, most of us, I think, have been playing the PC Engine and Turbo Graphics version, though, because of the accessibility with the the Turbo Graphics and PC Engine Mini, since it's on there. Oh yeah. yeah. So that's that's how most of us, I think, have been playing the game. Uh, and then for next month, September uh, 2021, we've got uh, Assault Shell, which is a relatively new indie shmup. So that'll be interesting to take a look at because it's kind of a kind of a stark art style that I don't know. It'll be a little bit of a different little bit of a different experience, I think, but very influenced by, uh, or at least it appears influenced by. You know, stuff like Crimson Clover and things like that. So it'll be kind of interesting to see some of those elements in, uh, uh, you know, a relatively new indie game. So, as always, we want to make sure and shout out Ed for the awesome logo that you did for the podcast. Uh, And, of course, the shirts that we have. Check those out at uh, Redbubble. To Kogasu for the intro and outro music. Uh, thank you to our fellow RF Generation podcasts, the RF Generation Playcast, and the Collector Cast. Check those out. Uh, and of course, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I do stream the games every month, so please come and check me out on Twitch and um, watch me fail over and over again. And occasionally have a win. <laughs> Make sure to toss a coin to your Twitcher. <laughs> oh, oh, I like that. Toss a coin to your Twitcher. Very nice. Donations of plenty. Donations of plenty. <laughs> uh, anything that you want to plug, Ed, that you've got coming up? Uh, well, obviously, we've got the run this weekend for Shmup Slam 4. I've been sort of neglecting all of my other uh, content in favor of beefing up my strategy and uh, and practice on that. Uh, I'm looking forward to playing some Galaga 88 afterwards, though. Uh, still got to grab that 1cc for this particular month. Oh, yeah. Um New episodes of Bullet Heaven are in the works. We've got Space Invaders Invincible Collection Collector's Edition, as well as Griffin Knight Epic from Strictly Limited. Uh, we also have, right now I'm in the middle of doing a review for Ketsui Kizunaji Gokutachi DX on the Switch, which is a Switch port of a mobile game which was ported from arcades, so a port of a port of a port. Um... It's fascinating to play these games on a modern system uh, because so easily they could just be lost to time. I'm I'm glad that they've been preserved in this sort of a manner, and I hope to see others like, I don't know, Pro Gear or Mushihime Sama Futari. They could happen uh, because they both exist. Mm. <laughs> um, and of course, um, I-, I stream every Wednesday and every Saturday on my YouTube channel, um, which is just youtube.com slash studio mudprints. Um, and it's the Bullet Heaven channel. So if you like your shmups, come on over and uh, check it out. Oh, by the way, uh, if any of you follow uh, our channel, uh, Deruna is looking to set up a secondary channel for her to cover the kind of games that she enjoys. It's going to be called Mudprints 2, as in T O O, as in as well. 
it's clever and uh, basically uh, she'll be doing stuff like RPGs Final Fantasy and we're priming some stuff with uh, a number of the Shantae games so that'll be kind of uh, kind of fun nice that all sounds really good alrighty any other shout outs or anything else that we need to to touch on before we close up shop Oh, yes. Buy my music. <laughs> Mudprincemusic.bandcamp.com Oh, yes. Oh, and everybody, uh, even after the Shmup Slam 4 run is done, go to the Bullet Heaven uh, or the Studio Mudprince YouTube channel and watch the uh, the walkthrough, the guide for Area 88 because it's a really good video and it needs more views. Play like a pro. Yes. In 30 minutes or less. Uh, speaking of music, I really like the music you put so far into uh, Shield Maiden. It does a really good job for that, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of what that game has to offer. Thank y'all. I, I like the I like how the Stage Two theme uh, turned out. I think that's one of my finer works. Stage Two is my jam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to uh, I need to fire that up again because it's been a minute since I fired up the previous beta, and now the the new beta version has had a couple of minor updates since it released, and so uh, I'd like to get on and stream the beta versions when they get updated, but I just haven't had any time. So that's another reason to come check me out on Twitch so you can see the uh, ongoing, unfolding changes in uh, Shieldmade MX from Hitpiece Studios and uh, um, see what... Uh, what that game looks like as it sort of evolves in its in its development cycle but uh they are planning uh, a release yet this year so hopefully we'll be seeing the final release from them soon i'll have to bust out the pizza arcade v2 <laughs> there you go all right well with all that said thank you all for listening and we will catch you next month all right thank you